My hatred kept my spirit intact, even though my body was not. Yet I was lost and became a rabid animal. And such is how you found me, brother. Discarded. Forgotten. I have missed so much. The force feels out of balance. Yes, there is conflict. The Clone Wars. Oh, yes. So it began without me. You can begin again, brother. I was destined to become so much more. But I was robbed of that destiny by the Jedi, by Obi-Wan Kenobi. Then you must have your revenge, my brother. Yes, we shall start with revenge. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Clone War Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the six-year history of the Emmy Award-winning animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars. Uh, we got a great show coming up for you this week. We are talking about the season four finale. That's right. These are the episodes that finally and concretely resurrected Darth Maul after he was chopped in half at the end of The Phantom Menace. A lot of interesting stuff to get into here, not only with Maul, but with his brother, Savage Opress, and of course, the Night Sister, Asajj Ventress, and hey, Obi-Wan Kenobi has a, has a pretty emotional run in these, in these episodes too, and we'll be getting into all of that here on The Clone Wars Strikes Back over the next hour or two, or who knows how long, <laughs> the next little while. Uh, but first, introductions are in order. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as he always does, is my good friend and co-host, Kieran. Kieran, how are you this week, man? I'm doing absolutely fantastic, Dominic. It's been a while now, actually. Yeah. When you consider, probably around a month ago, we were doing seemingly podcasts every week. Yeah. <laughs> and now I've had a little bit of a hiatus, and it's been a, a couple of weeks or so, but... It's nice to get back and talk about Star Wars again, because that has been a long time, actually. It's probably been about three, three and a bit weeks, maybe. I'm, yeah. I, I can't remember the last oh, time we did the since we, the uh, Rekha Hardeen arc. It was quite a <laughs> while ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it has been a while. It's it's not been quite as long uh, for the people that, that heard it. You know, for, for them, it was, uh, you know, there was there were a couple of weeks where, where we weren't there. But, you know, the last episode was... You know, we're, we're pretty much on, they, they think we're on pace. <laughs> you know, they think we're back on, on schedule. Really what happened was we recorded that episode. And if you listen to it, I, I tried to explain it at the beginning in the sort of a cold opening thing, but, if, but we recorded that episode and, and we had a, a special guest lined up. And unfortunately, uh, that guest fell under the weather and 
you know, we tr- we're trying to reschedule and we still are trying. Uh, we're hoping to get that guest on again because, well, they're a, a huge player in, in the, in the Clone Wars, but they've got, they're pretty busy right now and, and they've got a, a little event coming up that, that's keeping them pretty busy. I mean, maybe we'll mention that. Um, they, they're, they got a little celebration to be, <laughs> be working on. Um, but, uh, and, and we were, so we just kind of held off on releasing it and we wound up just holding off for like four or five weeks <laughs> and it just uh, eventually just had to put it out and you know it was it was it's a good episode and 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 all that and and but we're glad to to be back and because it has been it's been a really long time since we've done one of these and yeah I, i'm looking forward to getting into these episodes just because there is so much good stuff um but, but quickly let's just because because we're excited about this and and and, and everything uh, let's quickly just mention Star Wars Celebration, of course, coming up in like 30 days. Like it's, it's just over a month away, April 16th to the 19th in Anaheim, California. We'll both be there. And, uh, we also want to encourage everybody to come out, uh, Saturday morning, 1030 a.m. to the podcast stage at the Anaheim Convention Center where there will be a live Star Wars Underworld podcast, which is our, uh, which is the show that we span off from, spinned off from. I don't know. Uh, and, and, uh, I'll be there. I'll be hosting like I do every week on the Star Wars Underworld. And, uh, Kieran will be there and we'll be giving away tons and tons of good prizes and, and, and we'll have lots of interesting stuff planned for that. So we wanted to mention that and, uh, just there have been some cool announcements. You know, Ian McDiarmid's going to be there. Emperor Palpatine and, you know, of course, Star Wars Rebels season two premiere. And hey, that ties into Clone Wars pretty. Uh, pretty directly, you know, not only is it behind the scenes people, but you know, hey, there's a certain character that showed up in the finale of the season one finale. And so they're going to be in that, that premiere. And well, they're a Clone Wars character. They're definitely, it's Ahsoka. Everybody should have seen it by now. If you haven't seen it by now, sorry. <laughs> sorry, put spoilers before we next spoilers, time, Dominic. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. This, the show aired. Uh, it aired this it'll have been a week when this comes out it'll have been a week so if, if you haven't if you haven't seen it yet watch it yeah watch it it's really good it's <laughs> you know i mean we both knew that ahsoka was going to show up in the episode and just because of you know the online spoilers and, and that that uh and the the french actress who leaked it out on her website <laughs> um, and 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 i don't think that affected our our enjoyment of the episode at all so it it it's a really good episode. We recommend it. And of course we recommend Star Wars Celebration. If you see us there, come on up to us. We'll talk Clone Wars with you. Well, we'll talk Rebels. We'll talk Ep7. Anything. It'll be a lot of fun. What I will say is for the podcast, the Star Wars Underworld podcast that will take place on a Saturday, it is going to be the best forum, I think, just to discuss star wars with like-minded fans and it'll be a nice big group of us as well mm-hmm. i mean we're, we're part of the younger generation who perhaps don't necessarily want to say we favor the prequels but we have we have a different perspective i think that there's some others who have seen the original trilogy first yeah uh we've grown up with the prequels we've grown up with the clone wars and now rebels and I think it literally just come along as you said dominic all we want is to have a nice little chat with you guys and I mean, when I was at Celebration Europe, I remember when we went to that lunch with yourself, Dominic, met you yeah. for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and we were, we were sitting there chatting about 
Star Wars Episode Three. I remember talking about the Anakin Mace Windu Palpatine scene for a good half an hour or so. I yeah. mean, yeah, we, we probably won't even have enough time to fit in everything in the discussion. <laughs> so literally, just come along, yeah. have a great chat with us, have a great time. That's what Celebration is all about, really, for Star Wars fans. It's it's just going to be a lot of fun. It it it'll be. Like I said, it's going to be great. April 16th through 19th, StarWarsCelebration.com. And speaking of Episode 3, remember, Dominic, Episode 3 in, in 3D, 3D. Yeah. at Anaheim. So we'll have to dissect that. Yes, the Episode well, 3, uh, the episode, episode three, really the Clone Wars season finale, or series finale. <laughs> the, uh, the only show that had its series finale uh, three years before it premiered. Uh, yeah. Well, let's, let's get into these episodes, the season four finale episodes. They were Massacre, Bounty, Brothers, and Revenge. Kieran, do you have episode descriptions for us for this week? I do indeed, Dominic, and we'll kick off with the inaugural episode in this four part arc entitled Massacre. Count Dooku is determined to have revenge against the Night Sisters of Daphomir after their betrayal. General Grievous launches an all-out attack, all-out droid attack against the magic-wielding witches, and Mother Talzin, along with Asajj Ventress, lead the defense with all the dark powers at their command. Mm-hmm. The second part in this four-part four arc is entitled Bounty. An aimless Asajj Ventress joins a team of bounty hunters under the leadership of young Boba Fett. On an alien world, they undertake a dangerous but profitable mission that tests the limits of their skills and the strength of Asajj's character. And the third part in this four-part arc is entitled Brothers. The dark warrior Savajo Press is on a quest to find his long-lost brother. Could Darth Maul truly be alive after more than a decade since his gruesome bisection at the blade of Obi-Wan Kenobi? <laughs> Savage voyages into the depths of a twisted planet to find whatever became of the fallen Sith Lord. And the final episode in this four-part arc is entitled Revenge. Savage and Maul, now reunited, pursue Obi-Wan Kenobi in search of revenge. And the Jedi Knight finds himself forced to unite with a surprising ally to defend against the deadly siblings. Yeah, these are, these are, you know, I'll be honest. I'm kind of conflicted about a, a lot of these episodes in this arc. Not so much in them bringing Darth Maul back, but I, I, the execution of some of these episodes is not my favorite. I will say though that Revenge, the, the absolute season four finale is one of the best Clone Wars episodes ever. Like that is a solid 22 minutes of perfection. Like I, there's nothing I, I can think of in that episode that I would really say should have been done differently or could have been done differently. Uh, but the other episodes, well, we'll get into it. So I'll, I'll, we'll start, start how we always do with just our initial impressions of these, these episodes. And they've, they've changed in the time since, well, I guess this would have been 2012 when these episodes first came out. Uh, Karen, what were your first impressions and have they changed at all? I think, I think the impressions are, are relatively similar from when I watched it then and, and when I watch it now. I think the main difference is I believe I've accumulated a, a, a greater contextual background concerning these episodes, particularly the Night Sisters, their magics, and a little bit about Darth Maul's background, which we bear witness to in the Darth Plagueis novel, for example, mm. which 
I'm not sure exactly when this came out, but it was around the similar time. Yeah. Anyhow, li- li- these episodes, I think the I, I agree with you. Some of the execution, or, or rather, I should say, um, some of the elements which were executed in this ep- in, in these episodes could have been portrayed in an in certainly in an improved manner. I think Brothers is a bit of a disappointment, I have to say. I, I, I do like the last seven or eight minutes and the first five minutes, but there's that big or that long walk really of <laughs> Savage Savage Opress with the snake who yeah. um uh, whose name escapes me now. Morley. I think it's Morley. Is it Marley, did you say? Morley. Morley, yeah. So Morley, the snake. And I think that bit could have been shortened and cut out. And I feel that was lengthened on the basis of they wanted to make it a two-part arc. But then there are other stuff, that I think, that could have been put in that place, which would have added a lot more depth to Savage's character or maybe explore more a little bit more. I think that would have been a bit more exciting. And bearing in mind that a lot of people label this a Darth Maul arc. He really only shows up in the last 25 minutes, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, of this four-part arc. It's really an Asajj Ventress storyline at the beginning, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You've got her involved with the Night Sisters and, and having to deal with the Separatist Onslaught and Massacre. Then she joins the merry band of bounty hunters, as Boss calls it, <laughs> in, the, um, in the cantina when she joins Boba Fett, Bosk, Dengar and... And, and so many other b- b- bounty hunter characters to undertake this perilous mission to rescue, um, well, or to deliver this bride to the, to the king. Yeah. And I think that it's just, it, if, if it was truly a Darth Maul-centered arc, then I think he needed to play a more prominent role. And I do agree in some areas they were, they were forced elements, to say the least. But overall, I do like them for what they are. I think that the Massacre episode is the... Up there with the pinnacle of action set pieces. I mean, it's just a whole pretty much 22 minutes of all out action. And if that's what you're into as a diehard Star Wars fan, then this episode is up, up there with the best. And I mean, Bounty works as well as a character driven story, but also exploring the bounty hunter side. And then, as you said, revenge, the re- resurrection of Darth Maul. And that was a fantastic phenomenal episode really so dominic i'll pass it over to you okay obviously your initial thoughts have changed so i'll let i'll let you divulge those oh so they they haven't and they haven't i'm really the place they've changed the most is on the episode bounty Uh, the the thing about this arc is it's really not an arc it's two standalones and a duology it's not a four-part arc. It's not one continuous story as we came to know them over – really, over really, – really since season three uh, where, you know, they were – yes, there were episodes, but they – together they formed one cohesive story. These really felt more like individual episodes and that's not necessarily a criticism. Um, my criticism come comes in, in other, other areas in – in I, you know, Katie Lucas is. I do think she's a good writer, and I think we see that in Revenge, as well as in in certain points in, in Brothers and certain points in all of these episodes. Uh, but there were a lot of moments in in Massacre and Bounty where the dialogue felt very forced, very cliched. I, I didn't care for that. 
Um, and Massacre in general, I really think it should have been a two-parter. I, I really think instead of do, going off and, and doing Bounty, it should have been a two-parter about the invasion of of of, of Dathomir. I think that would have worked better. A, a lot of these sort of I, I, I we talked about this back when we talked about uh, the Geonosis episodes and and the zombie Geonosians. I'm not a fan of, of zombies in Star Wars. Um, you know, when it was the when it was the brain worms who were occupying the bodies, that was one thing. Here we see someone using magic or some perversion of the Force, and and I I really feel like a, a lot of things that that you know were done well, they just aren't really what I like to see. That's more my problem with Massacre. That being said. I, I love the the color scheme of Massacre. I love how it's all red. I love red lightsabers in this red environment. I thought that looked really cool. Um, I love the Grievous versus Ventress fight. Uh, there's a lot of good action. That it, it is it is a you know the for as many issues as I have with it, there is just as many things I really like about it. Bounty really feels tangential to everything else that we're doing in in this arc. Um, you know, we spend all this time with these bounty hunters and they never really come back. They never really come back to play another part in, in the arc. And, you know, the episode itself is, is kind of fun. Uh, it felt a bit too video gamey at times, but it was also, it was also good. And we got some good moments with Ventress, but at the same time, I would have liked to have seen if they're going to spend all this time introducing Boba and, and, and Bosk and Dengar and Lazarazi and Heisinger and all these characters were being introduced to or reintroduced to, I, I feel like they could have or should have played a bigger role in, in this overall arc. And again, that's why it feels like a standalone. It, it, that, that whole episode feels completely tangential to the rest of it. And it also looks so different to the rest of it, of what we see. Because if you look at the, at, uh, Massacre, Brothers, and Revenge, they're all, they all have this really red color scheme to it. Everything is red. It, it, it really sells that there's this kind of dark evil rising. And Bounty is all blue. It, 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 it's sort of these darker blues and purples, which is, which is kind of interesting. I mean, that does kind of reflect what Ventress is going through in, in those episodes. So again, it, it's, it's not bad. It just feels out of place. When pair when when placed with these other three episodes, which again, why I almost feel like we sh it should be looked at as massacre, bounty, brothers, and revenge. Like you know, there's two standalones, and a duology. Brothers, the snake actually doesn't bother me too much because I feel like that makes sense as sort of like a final test for Savage to have to you know work with this bizarre creature that is actually trying to kill him. I think that works. My problem with with brothers is is more that it it uh we didn't really see savage go on a journey he just kind of happened to be in the right place at the right time and he discovered this dust and it led him to this planet and he, he fought a few random people that really didn't challenge him in any significant way and i feel like really what would have made more sense and this probably happened we just didn't see it where it would have made more sense for there to be some kind of journey for Savage where he slowly and more and more tapped into the dark side and, and, you know, embraced his, his evil side because there were moments in, in the other arc 
in the Night Sisters trilogy from season three, where he seemed more like a good guy. And I think we really should have seen this journey for him where, you know, in order to find Maul, he would really have to go deep into his own psyche and, and address his own dark side fears, almost like a version, an evil version of the of the cave on Dagobah, sort of a, a longer, this spiritual almost journey for Savage in order to find, to get to the place where he can find Maul and Morley should have been sort of that last challenge. So the, the concept of Morley, I don't have a problem with. Um, but then after that, once Savage is brought face to face with Maul, or once he winds up in that tunnel and Maul is crawling around there, everything after that is perfect. I, I, I can't complain about anything. I, I think crazy Maul makes perfect sense. I love that, you know, he is using the dark side to keep himself alive and that has driven him insane. I love that. I think that's brilliant. Um, I love when he sort of comes back, this, this whole notion that, you know, at first he's having difficulty of tapping into the force and he can't call his lightsaber to his hand. And, you know, he, he hears about the Clone Wars and he sort of knows what that is. And then he is driven by this revenge to fight Obi-Wan and we see Obi-Wan go there. And, and you know, then there's that phenomenal showdown with those lightsaber battles that I remember watching it just thinking – Okay, this is where they're going to end the lightsaber. Oh no, they're, they keep going. This, well, this is where they're going. No, they keep going. This is where they're, it's going still! You know, where it was just like, you know, it, it felt like a proper lightsaber duel. It didn't feel like one from a TV show where they were just trying to, where they were just slash slash over because, you know, that's all the time we have for that. It, they really put the right amount of time into having that lightsaber battle. And so I, I really like that. And so I, I do really like Revenge and the back half of Brothers and, you know, again, I don't want to sound like I don't like these episodes and because I think there's a lot of really interesting things in these episodes. There's a lot of really good moments in these episodes. But as an arc, it, it felt very disjointed. And, uh, you know, they felt like there were some things that were thrown in for the sake of having them there. They didn't really add too much to the story. I feel like we could have done something. I feel like the basically bounty. I feel like that felt a little bit too tangential. I feel like it, if, if those characters were going to be introduced, then we should have, they should have played a bigger role, whether it was helping Ventress get to Savage or get to Maul or, or what have you. It, it just felt a little bit odd. Um, but again, the action in these episodes cannot, it cannot be under, under spoken how great it is. And I think Ventress goes on a very interesting journey in these episodes. Again, I do feel it was a little bit rushed, um, but I do think it, it worked very well. I think, and again, you know, again with the color, with the colors, just go back to that. I, I do think that sort of putting her in that sort of bluer color briefly in her, you know, the episode that was basically only about her, uh, you know, in Bounty, I think that makes sense because it showed her transitioning away from being a full on Sith and into being something else. Um, but it, 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 as an arc, I, I have some issues with it, but as individual episodes or as elements in individual episodes, I think there was a lot of good there. Does, does that make any sense? I think so. I, I can understand some of your grievances in these episodes. I think that, as I stated as well at the beginning, there were certain elements and facets which really could have been improved upon, uh, if you want to make it that real structured, and and strong cohesive storyline i think that yeah i was certainly lacking in these episodes although i do think that perhaps plot wasn't of 
the utmost importance as compared to some other episodes that we've examined. I think this is more character driven. Mm-hmm. I think we're really exploring Asajj Ventress's character, um, where her, her story is beginning to progress. And we're also looking at Savage Press. I do agree with your point that I wish that we saw some sort of episodes which bridged a gap between the Savage Press at the end of the Night Sisters and, and the Savage Press that we first see in Brothers. Mm-hmm. I think that was something which was missing. But also, we, we, but again, we're looking at his character. We're focusing really on, on, on where his story is advancing to. And then, of course, we're, we're resurrecting Darth Maul. And that's a huge, a huge landmark and watershed for Star Wars, really. I mean, I don't think we can necessarily underestimate the importance of this and, and the hype that was surrounding it. I can remember the, the first trailer which was released for these episodes which was back in october i don't know if you recall it dominic it was a minute a minute clip really it showcased clips of darth maul in episode one the phantom menace and then it ended on that shot you see in the brothers episode him in that spider shot when there's Mm. that blue glow around his face uh from savage oppressor's talisman that he's wearing and so i think that it really was a huge moment to bring a character, a legacy character of, you know, a, a, well, one of the most be- favoured and, and, and beloved, I would say. I think that a lot of people back uh, when, they, when they examine and view Phantom Menace from 1999, Darth Maul's one of the standout characters and people yeah. thought he was underused and now he's suddenly back. Um, and, and, and it's really important as well for looking at how, uh, we examine the Sith and, and how they're able to actually revive themselves, even though, as I said in the description, Obi-Wan bisected Darth Maul with his blade. <laughs> so I think it's it was really a character-driven arc, is what I'm trying to say, really. And I think that was the main focus on it. I think, as, you, as, we've, all, as we've both said, it could have been executed better. But at the same time, I do like what we were able to see here, and, and it, grew, it, you know, it hooks me in into this particular arc. I think it's still one of the best arcs in the Clone Wars, even though, as as we both said, it's not as cohesively structured as as some of the other arcs. I just like the aspect of focusing on the Sith, the Diet Sisters of Dathomir, the Magics, and really, we're just learning about a new way the Force is really able to function. The idea of, as we said, pretty much bringing someone back to life Mm-hmm. Um, from near death. I think that was what was really fascinating. So, again, a bit of a long-winded answer there, but I think that, uh, I, I, as I said, I agree with a lot of your points there, and I think that ultimately, as a story, there was definitely points in which the episodes lacked. There were a number of uh, elements which the episode lacked in, but I think ultimately it was a character-driven story arc. Yeah, yeah, I agree that it is a, a character study, these episodes. And I think, and that's part of the reason I, I sort of keep going back to this idea that I think almost it was that it wasn't an arc. It was, it was two standalones and a duology because I, I do think that, that brothers and, and revenge connect very well with one another. They work together as a, as a two-parter. They could work as a, as a 40 minute event, but this is not one of those arcs. This isn't like the, uh, you know the Mortis trilogy, or, or 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 the Ahsoka arc from the end of season five, or even the Darth Maul arc from 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 season five, where you could put it together as 
as one big uh, sort of movie event, and it would make sense that way. I, I think it, it works better when taken in smaller smaller pieces. Uh, but, but let's get into it. Let's get into Massacre. Uh, so we see Ventress go back to Dathomir, and she's she's welcomed home right away. Is is does Mother basically? I, I'm all, I always question everything Mother Talzin does. Does she have an ulterior motive for for bringing back Ventress, or is it just you know she's one of them? Uh, because you know everything that she did in season three definitely seemed like she was trying to um, put uh, put put the pieces in motion to bring Maul back so that she could just, she, she could take down Sidious. That that seems to be her overall goal. But at the same time, she's also using Ventress, and is she just inviting Ventress back as? Like a gesture as like, okay, you've done your part. Come back and, and be with your sisters. Or or does she have some other plans for Ventress? Does she have other uses for Ventress? It's an interesting one, really. I mean, the dynamics between Ventress and Mother Towson, as you stated there, is incredibly fascinating. It's, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what Mother Towson's motivations are regarding Asajj Ventress what is what is her end game what does she what does she hope for Asajj Ventress to achieve in the future and I I think it's there there is certain ambiguity surrounding that of course there is Mm -hmm. but I think there was genuine affection towards Ventress to bring her back into the fold I mean we look at how Ventress's backstory started when she was uh, she was sacrificed, mm-hmm. really, as a child to, 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 to be handed to this bounty hunter. I mean, it, again, the enigma surrounding that in order to protect the clan. And we don't exactly know what that yeah. entails and what that actually denotes. I mean, we, especially because we see in these episodes that, you know, they can summon up a, an army of the dead to defend themselves. So there, there had to be some pretty, pretty huge threat in order for, for them to have to give up Ventress. So exactly, exactly, and that's a very good point there, and 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 I think that perhaps that's more of a concocted story or a myth, really, that's been that's been created um, rather than rather than truth, because as you said, they have got ways of protecting themselves. Perhaps they got rid of it as a bargain for. Well, I, again, it's, 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 it's I was going to say money, but I don't think the Night Sisters necessarily are motivated by financial gain so it's an interesting one really but i think what sarge ventress let's look at it this way what does a sarge ventress offer to mother townsend and the night sisters at this moment well what you have with a sarge ventress is a force talented individual so mm-hmm. someone who is strong with the force not in the same way as the night sisters the way yeah. they use their magics but she's been apprenticed to count dooku a very powerful sith lord and she's a, uh, an excellent wielder of a lightsaber Mm -hmm. so i think asajj ventress has skills and talents which of course could be invaluable to the night sister clan uh whether it is in terms of defense as we see in the massacre episode i mean ultimately they're outnumbered by the sheer force of the separatist army but asajj ventress leading the attack has the knowledge of working for the separatists so understands the weaknesses and she she comprehends the battle situation, as it were. She's battle savvy, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and she's able to get right to the door of General Grievous, as it were. You know, um, and they have their duel. 
and she was very close to defeating him. So you look at it from that standing, a case a case study already, just looking at what Asajj Ventress offers. And I think that she is one of the most talented Night Sister uh, individuals, I guess, that has been re rebaptized into the clan. Something that, as I said, not many of the other Night Sisters can offer is the Force capabilities and wielding a lightsaber. So look at it from that point. I think that she... There is merit. There is mm-hmm. genuine merit for her to, to stick around. But at the same time, when push comes to shove, and you see at the end there, Mother Towson abandons her. Yeah. I mean, well, she, she abandons her. And I think that goes to show that really Ventress, all in all, is, is really a tool and instrument that could be used for Mother Towson's game. Yeah. And once that purpose has ended, so is the need for keeping Asajj Ventress around. So I, well, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on what I've spoken, and I, I wonder if you have any different interpretations. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right. I think uh, if, if, you've, if you've read the, uh, the, the, the comic, the Son of Dathmir comic, which was based on, on the next sort of Darth Maul, uh, Mother Talzin arc from the Clone Wars, ones that ne- never got produced, then you, you, what, we come to, what we come to find out in, in, those, in those comic books uh, and, and spoiler alert, I guess, uh, is that uh, Talzin wanted to be Sidious's next apprentice. And he basically promised her that. And then he reneged on the promise. He didn't do it. And what we see here is Talzin putting a plan into effect to kill Sidious. And to do that, she brings back Darth Maul. And so by sending out Ventress on this journey, she gets her she gets Savage Press into the right place uh where she can send him to go and get Maul and then she brings back Maul and Maul is basically um subservient to her. And and so I think, you know, Ventress is, like you said, she's just a, a something to be discarded. You know, she I, I wonder if, you know, maybe there is some some genuine caring between uh Mother Talzin and and Ventress, but at the same time, in in episodes two and three, there looks like there's genuine caring between Anakin and Palpatine. But that Palpatine lit- legitimately cares for Anakin, and really, we know he's just grooming him to play his part in this bigger war. And like you said, uh, you know, she does abandon Ventress after this the Battle of Dathomir. Once that's over, uh, Ventress is abandoned. Her usefulness, you know, first she she used she played her part to put this whole plot to kill Sidious in motion by going and, and creating Savage Press. Um, and then, then, you know, like you said, she's, she's of use until the battle is over and they have lost at that point. Mother Talzin is done with Ventress. It'll be interesting. Well, she puts, she puts her eggs in all in one basket then, doesn't she? With Savage Press and Darth Maul, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I mean, we see in the in in the in Revenge that you know, as talented as Ventress is, I mean, she she doesn't really hold up against Maul. Really, if you you know, Maul is is Talzin's best chance to defeat Sidious. I think. Well, that, it's an interesting point you raised there because I do wonder at what point she uh, Mother Talzin that is at what point Mother Talzin decides Ventress is not the one. Because do, do you think there was ever a point when Ventress returned to the Night Sisters that she, Mother Towson that is, saw Ventress as the ultimate tool no. to defeat Dooku? Or do you always think that 
Ventress was just a means to an end. Ventress was a means to an end. I think what we saw is that, or, you know, we here if you really want to get into conspiracy theories, here's something that could happen. Maybe, maybe Talzin gave, gave ah, no, that doesn't work. Never mind. Forget I said that. Um, I think she's just, she just sees, uh, sees Ventress as a, as a tool in this, that she sees Ventress more as an opportunity, really. I think she sees her as an opportunity that when Ventress comes sort of crawling back to Dathomir, uh, she sees, she realizes that there is a void in Dooku's apprentice. And so she can use, she can use Asajj to, um, to create Savage and they will put, uh, Savage in this place. And maybe, maybe if anything, she thought that Savage Opress could be the one to, to overthrow uh overthrow Sidious. But I think really what we saw what or to over overthrow Dooku. And I think she uses Ventress's desire to kill Dooku. You know, if, if she if if she if it's kind of like when Sidious has Anakin fight Dooku. It's you know testing who is most powerful. But I really think that ultimately what she was just trying to do is put the pieces in motion so that she could have somebody go and get Darth Maul. I don't think she was really expecting Ventress to, to amount to being able to kill Count Dooku. And if she did, well, then even better. Then there's a real power, power vacuum and they can insert somebody of their own. But I think it was more about uh, putting putting the pieces in, in play so that the, when the time is right, Darth Maul can rise again with the assumption that Maul combined with Talzin can take down Sidious. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why it's just... It's so intriguing and compelling to explore Mother Townsend's character, really. I mean, even though we started the discussion by by examining Asajj Ventress, mm-hmm. a lot of Asajj Ventress's uh, the function of Asajj Ventress, really, and 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 her role in all of this is really tailored to Mother Townsend. And I think that really, it's 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 so difficult to decipher really how how masterful she really is but i think that the the comparison you made between anakin and palpatine in episodes one and two compared with mother townsend and asajj ventress in the night sisters arc of season three and the massacre episode i think it speaks volumes and it really does demonstrate how these master manipulators work that even though it on the surface, it seems that there is this genuine affection for the individual that they're clearly trying to court. Um, ultimately, they're just being used as a pawn to further their the mastermind's own end, as it were. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, with with Talzin, you know, she has the the trump card of Darth Maul, and basically she just wants the pieces to be in play so that she can use that and. You know, no matter what she has to do, whether it's it's make Ventress feel welcome, whether it's because you know she's she's nice to everybody, to all of these sort of pawns. She's very nice to Ventress. She's nice to Savage, even Maul. Uh, you know, all all of this with the game plan of of taking down Sidious, and so you know maybe she tries to infiltrate. That doesn't work. Maybe now it's time for an all out attack with with Darth Maul, and and I think that think that's sort of what what we see in her character in her ultimate end game. I let's I do want to talk briefly about about uh Dooku and Grievous cuz we get a little bit of insight into an aspect of their relationship that I think is kind of interesting. And it's it's really a throwaway line that we may be making 
or I may be making too much out of, but Grievous calls Dooku master. Why? <laughs> I, they're, 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 it does, it, did, did that strike you as strange? He didn't, you know, it wasn't my lord. It wasn't Count Dooku. It was master. I, I thought that was strange. Is, 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 is that, am I the only one that thought that was weird? Well, if you look at it from this standing, Dark, Duke, Count Dooku had within his possession a Sarge Ventress who was one of his Sith acolytes, his, his, his agent, as it were, who did most of his dirty work and in a way served as a as, as an apprentice in all but name. Mm-hmm. She gets... Uh, the ties between her and, and Count Dooku are severed and as a result... Count Dooku's on the lookout for a new apprentice, and that's where he acquires Savage Press. Again, that ends in calamity and disaster for him. <laughs> so he's at, he's wound up now with no real apprentice, and I think this is where we see General Grievous taking the forefront a little bit more. You know, I mean, it, it's got to the bare bones a bit now for Count Dooku, isn't it? Where he's having to summon Grievous to Sereno uh, with, with that almighty droid blockade encircling the planets yeah obviously demonstrating the the, the fears that count dooku has a, another assassination attempt which was bear witness to in the night sisters trilogy and i think now with it, it, it's it's steadily the, the power within dooku's grasp is steadily eroding his is his ambition at least to overthrow and and topple lord sidious he hasn't got an apprentice anymore. He's relying solely on Grievous. Mm-hmm. And I think that Grievous as himself, we, we know General Grievous, he, he amounts to be more than he is. He doesn't see himself as a cyborg. He sees himself as a Jedi killer, as, 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 as someone who is a, a, a menacing threat to the Jedi, a constant threat. And I think that he wants to ascend to the mantle of Count Dooku's apprentice. Um, and so to me, it's not so surprising that Grievous would cite that, that he would call Count Dooku his master, because he does want to indulge in the Sith way, as it were, in the principles of the Sith. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I see. And I, and I, I think he's a, he's a Sith wannabe, isn't he? Yeah. Let's be honest, he's a Sith wannabe. The same way that we could compare him to the Inquisitor of Rebels. Yeah. They're not, they're not true Sith lords. They're, they're Sith acolytes. I mean, Grievous is different because he doesn't have any Force capabilities or Force talents the same way Ventress and the Inquisitor does. But he wants to be a Sith. And I think that even just by bestowing the title of my master to Count Dooku, it's another way of really pushing his own mantle uh, or, or propelling his own status, as it were, to something greater than just a commander-in-chief of the droid army. He is also part of this Sith chain. I think that's really where Grievous's standing comes from. But do, do, do you have a different interpretation, perhaps, on well, I, why I, Grievous would call Count Dooku his master? Because it's a good point you raised there. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it speaks to. I think it's a very similar take on on it as you. I, you know, I, I say it's, I say it's weird. I don't mean that from a from from an out of universe point. I think that it's more as weird in the sense that it it uh it tells us something interesting about Grievous's character, and I, I think. It, because, like you said, he he he's a wannabe. He he wants to be a Sith Lord, or he, really, he wanted to be a Jedi. I think is sort of what the impression we got from the Lair of Grievous episode, where we went through 
his uh his lair i guess and we saw the the various uh enhancements that he got all of this seeming to seemingly because he wants to be a jedi but he never can be so he wants to bring himself to being as close as he can to being a jedi or really a sith because he hates the jedi and so yeah it, it makes sense in that sense that he would he would call dooku his master because he, he it makes him feel closer to being what he he believed he was and you know it, 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 it's strange because he's not re- i mean dooku yes dooku trained him so in some and i guess in that way he could be considered his master but he's not his sith master and i think it just sort of we get a peek into grievous's mentality that you know he thinks of himself as a as a sith apprentice or an acolyte when we know that he really isn't he's just the crazy droid general with the forearms and the four lightsabers that cheats in every battle that he's in. And, and we see that in these ep- in this episode when he fights Ventress, you know, they have that great lightsaber fight uh, between the, between the two of them. Not quite as, not quite as epic as the one in, in revenge, but it's still a pretty good fight. And Ventress wins the fight, but Grievous cheats and gets to win. And, and I think that again, it, it sort of shows we, we sort of get the two contrasting, uh, sides of it where he uses the terminology of master as if he is a Jedi. But then we see that he really isn't. He can't go down with any honor uh, because he cheats in his fi- in all of his fights. He cheats to win. He's he's he's, he's not a real, you know, he's not not a real Jedi or, he's or a even survivor, a Sith. isn't he? He's a what? He's a survivor. Yeah. He wants to survive by yeah. any means necessary. Yeah. Exactly. And in a way, it kind of showcases how he does fear death. If we're talking about the Sith way. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that is sort of in parallel, I guess, you know, when, when Darth Sidious is talking about Darth Plagueis, um, and their attempts to sustain life, mm-hmm. Sith, they, they, they obviously want to leave a legacy, but they want to, the, the Sith also desire to live forever. They want to be the ultimate grand master, the omnipotent figure. Um, and yet, you know, Grievous can never amount to anything of that sort of power or authority um, yeah. over the, in, in, within the galaxy. But I think that it does at least exhibit how Grievous is unprepared to, to go down with honor the same way the Jedi would. You know, you see when uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi facing off Darth Vader, for them, uh, well, by the time we get to episode four in the old trilogy, death is just another stage yeah. of assuming the, the, the true mantle of, of being this 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 grand and and, and wise uh, Jedi really yeah. um, when they become their Force ghosts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, well, I'll, I'll get your take on this. Uh, you know, I already kind of mentioned it when I was going over the uh, the uh, my some of my grievances with with the episode. But um, old Daka and Night Sister Zombies. Uh, uh, what what did what did you think of of that? Well, immediately, I recalled the zombie ep- the zombies that we bear witness to in the Geonosis Geonosis arc of season two, mm-hmm. and there are clear differences to the zombies we see in the Night Sisters and the zombies that we see in in, Ge- in, in the Geonosis arc as well. As well as, well as there was a few similarities, but I the way that it's that it's been executed the the notion of summoning an undead army through the use of magics is very, very interesting. And I think it's important to note that 
this is reanimating dead bodies. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily reviving them the same way as, as Darth Maul yeah. in, in the final episode of this arc when, uh, at least psychologically and, and mentally, he returns to his former self. We don't see that. These are just mindless automatons, really, who are fighting um, un, un, well, under the obedience of of old Dacker and the Night Sister clan. I, I think it's interesting, and, and I wonder how exactly this resurrection spell works, and whether, in effect, it's to do with the the blood of the Night Sisters. Mm. Perhaps I mean, you see when Asajj Ventress is baptized, at the end of it, her eyes flicker. Well, we, we've seen that before in the season three arc. You, if you can remember that clip, Dominic, when um, it's it's a little bit strange, but her eyes start to roll and you can't see, can't actually see, you just see mm. the whites of her mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then they suddenly reanimate back. And I think that's, maybe that's something inherent within Night Sisters that they've been tainted this way. And that means that when the spell is is performed, then it's it reaches out to to those night sisters because they've been truly baptized in that fashion. Again, it's, it's an interesting one as to how that spell actually works. But in principle, the concept of zombies in Star Wars, I'm with you. It's a, it's a little bit of a sour point, but I do, I can find, I can find it retconned or justified through the notion that the magics is really a manifestation of the force, the yeah. use of the magics and, and how that necessarily works is a, is 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 a way of justifying, I think, having reanimated undead bodies in Star Wars. But um, whether we would see this, for example, in Episode Seven, I have my doubts. Mm-hmm. But for the television show, I think I've, I can see why it was work. It, it, it was put in there, and it did add something to the story. It made it more epic. Uh, on the grandest scale, because the Night Sisters are only a small clan, but then you have this huge undead army, which are pretty much infallible to anything. It does, it does make it very interesting. But I, I, obviously, you had your grievances, Dominic. So yeah. I'd, I'd like to hear you expand upon your views towards the Night Sister zombies. Well, again, as long as as long as Night Sister magic is some kind of version of the Force. Then I'm okay with it. It, It's as long as it's some kind of perversion of the force that it's it's in it that it that it it is. You know, you're tapping into the force just through spells and and incantations instead of meditation and midichlorians. Um, And and there's enough evidence to to indicate that that's the case um, from season six with the the Yoda arc where we see Sidious and, and Dooku doing some kind of weird force lightning thing into that basin. Um, and that's creating the visions for, for Yoda. I think that, that makes sense. And, and, and we see that Mother Talzin is out stealing the force, uh, from, from the Bardotans and, and all that. So I, I think there is enough evidence to suggest that it is. Um, I just, you know, again, for, for me, it's just, I, I'd rather not have, have zombies. I would have rather there was some other way that, again, was something that we hadn't, maybe it was something that we hadn't already seen. Because we've we've already seen zombies in Star Wars once. We we saw that with the with the undead Genosians, uh, and I, I would have rather they could have just found a different way to extend this battle. Because 
again, clearly they wanted to extend the battle. They wanted to make the battle more epic. But at the same time, the episode itself, I, again, I, I do feel was was a bit rushed, uh, and and could have been paced better. And and I, I, it's more just again, it's it's more just a personal preference of of, you know, if I want a zombie story, I'll watch a zombie story. Um, and, you know, it is something that is contained to this one sort of corner of the of the galaxy, more or less. And so, you know, it, it's. I, I can't really say I have a problem with it. it. It's just not my favorite way to tell a Star Wars story. Uh, that that's all. Same thing with the with the mother Talzin, uh Dooku voodoo thing. I, I again, it seems like it could be something that was done through the Force. We know that the Force can can reach all over the place. We've seen Sidious Force choke Dooku from from planets away. We've we've seen Vader do that to people or. You know, he sees them on the video screen and then he chokes them out, and even if they're on a completely different ship. So it's, it's possible. It, again, it all, it all makes sense in, in that it's, it's some kind of version of the force. Uh, but you know, it, it's, it, it, I would have liked for them to have done some different things. That's all. That's all. I, I don't dislike it. I just don't particularly care for it either. Yeah. You know, what, did, what was your take on the on the Dooku voodoo? I think the Dooku voodoo was, again, as you said, it's something a little bit different, something that we've not really witnessed in that type of format. Mm. As you said, we've seen Admiral Ozzel getting it from Darth Vader, as it were, and, of course, Darth Sidious force-choking Dooku... D- Dooku? <laughs> Madooku, I mean, from light years away. But to actually see Dooku being tortured and tormented by Mother Towson through a form of voodoo magic was it, was... it was something a little bit... What should I say? I don't want to say necessarily cheesy, but some, a, it's, it's an archetypal... Uh, concept that's really interlinked with the idea of witches, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The idea of having a voodoo doll, and yeah. I think they certainly played upon that fact. I mean, we should, we know from Clone Wars that a lot of inspiration comes from other films um, and other types of uh, other cinematic dramas. Uh, you only need to look at the the Carousel. Ah, Carousel references. Kurosawa. I can't even pronounce it properly. Have, have I pronounced that right, Dominic? It's Kurosawa. Kurosawa, I I do apologise. This is why I study history and not film, although it's not really the best excuse I could come up with, but there we go. Um, but the point is, that, I mean, and also when you look at, say, Mortis, with the references of Lord of the Rings quite clearly there, mm-hmm. I mean, Star Wars, particularly the Clone Wars, they reference and, and cite a lot of material from other films, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it can make it seem a bit generic um, and not... Star Wars esque, really not, uh-huh. not 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 in a true Star Wars fashion, and I think that the voodoo part or the voodoo facet certainly plays into that idea. I I, I think that as you said, there could have been other ways to do it, but what it at least does demonstrate to the audience is that Mother Towson is one of the most powerful force wielders in the galaxy mm-hmm. not in the same way as as, du- as as dooku sidious or vader i mean she doesn't have the power to force choke it would seem people from light years away 
But even though she's on Daphomir and Dooku's on Sereno, she can inflict pain and and harm on him regardless um, in, in a true witch yeah. fashion when his suddenly boils start emerging onto his face there. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so I, I, I think it is, as we said, it's just a different manifestation of the Force is the way that that could really be justified. But uh, the point I want to raise is I think it does showcase to the audience that Mother Towson is a force to be reckoned with. Sure. And even though she doesn't use the force in the same way as Sidious, she has uh, a, a, a broad and, and, and a substantial amount of power within her grasp. Yeah. Well, as, as, we're, as we're kind of talking about this, it occurs to me that sort of the Night Sisters, they really don't feel like, like they're, they're, or at least their power sets. Uh, the characters themselves, uh, it's a little bit is a different case, but their power sets don't feel like they belong in the Star Wars universe. That being said, I think that's also the point. I think the point of these powers is that it's supposed to be different. You know, we're so used to the generally accepted way of using the Force, which is the Jedi and the Sith, and that's sort of the mainstream way. And, and what we're seeing here are sort of these other sort of cults and these other ways of tapping into it that are going to seem different and they they seem different to the audience because they seem different to the characters within it you know dooku clearly doesn't you know when when he's fighting the invisible night sisters in the last trilogy he's not talking he's not going oh i see night sister magic he's confused by what's going on you know he knows he's being attacked but he's still he's still not necessarily fully aware with aware of it so i i think you know Part of the reason it does seem strange and it does seem out of place to us is it's it's supposed to seem that way. It's supposed to seem that way to the characters, and it and it makes these these the Night Sisters a, a, a more credible threat because you don't know what the limits of their powers are. We have a general idea of what the limits of a Jedi or, or a Sith powers are, but when you tap into the Force in a different way through these these incantations and potions and and all of this, then you can reanimate bodies. Or you can uh, create boils on on somebody's forehead from 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 light years away. There's so much more potential for for other things to go to to happen. You can clear somebody's mind. You can make somebody massive, and it, it it's just sort of to sort of to present a new threat and a new challenge to our characters, and that's a good thing. There is no denying that's a good thing. And you know, just because my personal favorite thing is not zombies and i really you know i'd, I'd rather not be watching a, a star wars zombie story I, I i don't want to fault the creators for doing something different because i think they were they were definitely doing a lot intentionally to almost make the audience feel uncomfortable with this because that's how the characters like you know like dooku or or if obi-wan and anakin were to come up against it how they would feel um when confronted with it, and and so that's that's sort of my take on Night Sister Magic is that it's it's, it's a perversion of the Force or a perverse way of getting to the Force that is so different from what we know that it's and it, and it's it's done that way intentionally to make it unpredictable and to to present a different style of threat to to the characters that we know and love and 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 so you know again it's not maybe not it doesn't always go with the, with the ways that. I like it, but it always presents something new and a new challenge. And, and that is 
good. That is a good. It's good to 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 expand what we know of as Star Wars and present new things to our characters for them to overcome and that makes our characters our, our favorite characters um more powerful the heroes our heroes i guess you should say more powerful when they overcome this new form of 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 using the force that is bizarre and confusing to us absolutely I completely agree i think that the certainly fundamental points to note there is just something that's completely different it's a different version something as an audience we're not privy to necessarily and it just takes a bit of getting used to mm-hmm. in order to accept that fact. I mean, whether we're, whether we're a fan of this type of magics or or this manifestation of the Force or not, it's a part of Star Wars canon now, and it's something which, mm. over time, I mean, as, as we can see, we're talking about it four years since it was since it's been aired, or three years, and and we're still debating about it. I think. It, it, I mean, that, that's what's good with Star Wars, though, is that we're able to you know, latch on to these fundamental components of a storyline and, and, and really and really dissect what what it actually what is it actually representing? What 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 are these magics that have been concocted by the Night Sisters? And I think we can all agree it's a manifestation of the Force, but we've never necessarily seen until these episodes the scale. Yeah, the the the, the galaxy wide scale and effect that these magics can have on individuals and systems, and it's it's just yeah, it's really really um, a, a compelling subject to examine, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about about bounty. Um, Ventress joins this team that is of bounty hunters that's made up of Boba Fett, Bosk, Lotsrazi. Uh, I nearly said Simon Pegg, Dengar, and and Heisinger. Um, is is this unique to this one job, or is this sort of is this part of the bounty hunter lifestyle that we weren't aware of before that they actually work together as a crew? Because there seems to be a lot of familiarity, uh, uh, at least among uh, among this crew. Uh, you know, we we saw in in previous episodes that Boba and Bosk had some kind of relationship in prison. They probably broke out together. Um, that is so. Is this kind of a, a new way of being a bounty hunter, or is this the usual way of being a bounty hunter? Is this unique to this one particular mission? Because they do say in this mission they need six hunters. I think the the the. So you you mean the concept of collaborating with other yeah. bounty hunters? I think it's an interesting one, and as as you stated there, one of the principal reasons for having or, or for formulating this faction of bounty hunters is pertinent to the mission. Really, that as you said, they needed six members. It was necessitated. It was one of the reasons why Sarge Ventures was able to join the crew so quickly, mm-hmm. even though. They just witnessed her killing one of their crew members. It was you know, tough like we, we need to get someone in now. It doesn't matter who it is, someone who's skilled and someone who they think can help them accomplish the mission. And that's what they do. I'd be interested to see, actually, what the conversation they had. What, what was the conversation that Boba had with, <laughs> with Embo? You know, when we <laughs> see that scene where he leaves with his dog. I wonder maybe if they tried to ask him to fill into the mission. I don't. I don't know. It's an interesting one. Or maybe they were just asking and saying, you know, 
Um, how much is the dog? I don't know. Maybe that's what they were bargaining on, something <laughs> like that. But I, anyway, uh, on, on a serious matter now, I think that I think that the Boba Fett and the boss dynamic is very interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. How Bosk really seems to care for the boy. Uh, don't forget, he's only a youngster now. He's, yeah. he's growing up, but he's, he's hardly the Boba Fett that we see in episode five and episode six, who seems to be very self-reliant. Um, and you, you don't see any of that close connection or at least uh, emotional ties towards Bosk on that landing platform scene yeah. uh, on, the, on the Star Destroyer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where, where, where was that? <laughs> um, whereas in, in the Clone Wars, there seems to be this real bond that's, that's formed between those two characters, which is... As, as I said, it's an interesting concept to actually consider and explore, but I think that's quite unique, and I couldn't foresee that really taking place on a on a larger scale. I think the last time we saw that was the operation which was performed by Cad Bane and his bounty hunter entourage in uh, in oh, I forget the end of episode. That the end of season one hostage crisis, um, and that's the only time we've ever seen really a bounty hunter gang, as it were, on, on such a scale. And again, what was the sole purpose of that? It was, of course, financial merit, financial gain, and reward. That was really what was driving these bounty hunters. That's always really the main incentive. You look at um, Lazaret. Is that how you pronounce the name? Lazarazi. Lazarazi, that's it. Remember when she's walking onto the train talking with Boss, she's like, yeah, as long as we get paid, that's all I care about. <laughs> and that's really the principal driving ambition, I think, for these bounty hunters. I wonder what your take is on that, Dominic. Yeah. Do you have a necessarily a different interpretation as to why these group of bounty hunters banded together, as it were? Do you think there is, is more to them as, as a group than, than just this one mission? I mean, for example, could you foresee them collaborating again in the future? Well, I I do wonder if if the show is trying to tell us that bounty hunters, which we always thought were sort of like lone wolves, actually operate in gangs. Because I I look at at all of these, all of the times we see bounty hunters on the Clone Wars, they're almost always working together. Like the one exception is is Cad Bane, um, in the in the uh, holocron heist. I uh, you look at Hostage Crisis, there there was a whole crew there. It was Cad Bane or a Singh. Uh, and, and a few others. Uh, you look at the Bounty Hunters episode, which was the, uh, the Kurosawa, um, tribute to, to uh, Seven, Seven Samurai. There's a crew of Bounty Hunters with, with Sugi and Embo and, 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 um, the other two. I forget their names. <laughs> uh, there's these, these episodes, there's this episode. There is, well, there's the Boba Fett arc that, that introduced Boba to the show where he's working with Bosk and Aura Singh and, and, and Castus, Crass. Crestus, I think. Yeah, uh, with with those guys, um, the, what you mentioned, the the um, the Cad Bane, uh, the box, that whole that whole event, um, it's it's all like a crew of bounty hunters. So I wonder if really this is just kind of a normal thing that people don't hire one bounty hunter; they hire a crew of bounty hunters. And maybe, maybe you know, when the Empire takes over, they sort of crack down on 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 this sort of thing. And it, and it makes it so that the bounty hunters have to kind of become, uh, more individual. And that's why we don't see Boba and Bosk working together in empire strikes back. Um, but at the same time, maybe they had a falling out. Maybe there's a great story there about why they, uh, they, um, they aren't working together at that point. 
so I, I do wonder if, if we maybe we have to redefine our, our, our thoughts on bounty hunters that they aren't just lone wolves, that this is kind of a thing. Because like I said, there does seem to be a, like some kind of camaraderie there that these guys work together often. You know, maybe they'll do a job individually every now and again, but for the big stuff, you know, let's get the let's get the crew back together. Bobo calls up Bosk, who calls up Lotsrazi, who calls up uh, Dengar, who call and they they program Heisinger, and that that kind of seems like that that's the impression I got from this episode that these guys were a crew of bounty hunters that worked together. Hmm. I'm I'm not. Uh, I I do agree with the the idea of them working together, and we see the instances of how that's happened. But I'm not so sure whether I would go so far as to say that there's a camaraderie between them. I think that the main reason that they're working together is the sole purpose of being hired for a job which they then have to accomplish. Sure. I mean, to counter your point, you could say, well, Embo in the season six episode, uh, yeah, with the bonus content, well, he's working on his own there, isn't he, when he's uh, trying mm-hmm. to assassinate Anakin Skywalker. Uh, no, not he's not trying to assassinate Anakin Skywalker. He's trying to... Oh, what's Panmei's old friend called? Clovis. Clovis, that's it. How can I forget that guy? Oh, that's because I don't like him, that's why. (laughs) But anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, Embo tries to assassinate Rush Clovis with the help of his dog. Um, (laughs) But I I think that the sole purpose that most, the main reason these bounty hunters seem to work together is on the premise that uh, they have to, that they've been hired by the Huts to do so and there is that financial extortionate reward there which is available to them once that ceases i'm pretty sure they'll just they'll just go their separate ways to be honest i mean obviously you can look at the the darth maul arc in season five i don't want to go into that too much but when the the maul, maul and the mandalorians assail nal hutter and mm-hmm. obviously you have that that grand crew of bounty hunters there Again, the, the the principal purpose for them is to defend the huts, and that's because they've been hired by the huts, and it's the huts who are the gangsters, who are the ones hiring, and the ones who have enough wealth to actually pay for them, or most times they do at least. Right. And I think that's the main reason. That's their driving purpose there. So I do agree that there are more instances than people realize of bounty hunters working together, and they're not necessarily lone wolves, but I'm not necessarily sure that the camaraderie aspect is necessarily there. I actually think the Boba and Bosk is still quite a unique one. Mm. And, you know, you look at Morale Yval and, and, and Cad Bane as well. That was only there for monetary purposes. Right. Embo, I mean, he switched sides so many times, isn't he? <laughs> you know, he was helping out the farmers and then he was trying to kidnap the chancellor. So, you know, and Greedo as well. Obviously, he was he was working with the the separatists and the Trade Federation as well. So, I think there's there's a lot of instances really of, of bounty hunters really just looking for the financial reward. That's their driving ambition. And once that is ceased, or it seems as though the the chain of of actually accessing and and accumulating these funds dies out then I, I imagine they go their separate ways or they look for a new benefactor. That's what I imagine, but I I don't know. Do you think I'm going a bit too far with that? No, I I, I think you, you, you – I, I think I, – I agree with what you're saying. I, I, it is all about the money for these guys. Their their primary focus is on you know financial gain. And my point was just – was more that they aren't aren't quite the lone wolves that they were, were made out to be. But like you do make the point of, 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 about Embo that he is sort of all over the place and I guess he sort of represents uh, how the how the, the 
the bounty hunter works where they will one day they'll be working with one crew. The next day they'll be working with another crew. The next day they'll be working on their own. Uh, so but yeah, I, I think what you're saying is absolutely uh, on point. Yeah. I mean, in a similar way as well, that the Boba Fett, when he obviously appropriates Han Solo frozen in carbonite and hands it to Jabba the Hutt, he's working for both the empire and Jabba as well, isn't he? So, sure. I mean, it just happened to be that those missions were actually, interlinked and yeah. and it uh, as far as the purpose goes it was it was useful to work for both but i don't necessarily think that boba fett had loyalties towards either party mm-hmm. they were just the principal commissioners for his work sure that's what i would say yeah yeah fair enough fair enough uh well I'm sticking with boba boba's kind of interesting in in this this arc because okay one he's He's the leader of this gang. How? How? <laughs> I mean, is, is it just because of, of his father? Because, um, like, to me, it seems more logical that Bosk would be sort of the leader. You know, he's been out there the longest. He's had, he's probably had some, some successes. Um, the only, the thing I can maybe think of is maybe Bosk feels, or Bosk owes Django something. And that's why he's sort of mentoring Boba. He's putting Boba in charge. Um, but then we do see just a, a brief flash of the good Boba that we got a little bit of in season two. And, and that's when, when the crate finally opens up and the, and the girl rolls out and he, he's sort of like, what? What? And he, he you know, he says, don't worry, I'll protect you. I, it, it did seem like in that moment, yeah, he was trying to defend his, his bounty, but there did seem to be some genuine, care i mean he showed more than than ventress did and ventress let her go i mean you know boba seemed more affectionate at least you know whereas ventress seemed very cold and and detached although ventress wound up doing the right thing when when boba wouldn't have uh although she did manage to get paid for it so you know so i'm curious on your take on on boba in in these episodes yeah i think boba fett as we always say, he's, he's one of the most competitive characters in the Star Wars universe, the cult following that has really developed since his first appearance in Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. And I think that the Boba of, of, of this particular episode, the Bounty, you can, you can see some of his leadership qualities, how he's able to recruit these, these band of bounty hunters together and... And, and and really push them forward into that, that single objective, really. Um, I mean, as, as I said, we have to remember that, that, that Boba Fett, as we said, he is still very young, but it really is the legacy of his father, I think, that that, that grants him this respect at such a young age. Sure. Um, and no doubt he, in fact, is it, it, actually more experienced than people give him credit for, mm. bearing in mind the clones go through this, growth acceleration process whereas boba fett was well he he is how old he's he's lived for how long he really is you know it's his true age i don't know how old he is here but i'm gonna say 14 years whereas for clones uh say you know what we see up in the front lines whether it's say cut up or echo or fives they're probably you know the same age technically in terms of, of Boba years, but <laughs> Boba years, I know saying Boba years, <laughs> but in actual fact, they have the experience that they're actually these, they, uh, they have the know, generals and they're actually soldiers. And that's because yeah. of the growth acceleration process, which I cited earlier. 
Yeah. And in terms of what you're, the point you're raising there about the, 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 the moral conflict of Imbo, I think it's very interesting. And I think it is as well linked on to the fact that he is such a young boy that there is yeah. this emotional side to him still that, that, as you said, it was quite startled and shocked by having that, well, seeing a, a, a young girl being mm. delivered to this, this warlord, as it were. Uh, it did shock him. And, and and it just showed that there is that that compassion side still within him. Yeah. Um, and, and and it's the same type of conflict though, Dominic, that we saw in at the end of season two, if you remember, particularly when he had a difficulty of, of, of he couldn't he couldn't shoot his own brethren. Yeah. Well, he couldn't shoot him because he, he looked he like his get dad. Rid of the children. Sorry, well, carry on. Well, I was just saying. I I, I think with the I agree with you on the on the kids. I think with the clone trooper is more he, he couldn't shoot him because he looked like Django. he couldn't you know look like his dad uh, but anyway sorry do continue yeah so well I've, I've nearly come to an end now so i think that ultimately there is still this compassionate side within him and as you said the clones are obviously reminiscent of his father yeah. and the children as well he bought the he had built this close camaraderie with um and I think, I think what's for Boba, he's become a lot more self-reliant than we'd seen him in the past. Mm. I think he'd always been dependent on this mentor figure, the same way Adventurous had. Adventurous yeah. had ties and loyalty to a number of mentor figures, whether it was a Jedi Master, Dooku, Marva Talzin, the same way that Boba Fett had Django or a Singh. And now he's, he's got Boss, but Boss is, is not as much of a, of a father mental figure as more of an associate and, and, yeah. and someone who works with him in collaboration with him. So I think that we see that Boba Fett clearly through the course of the Clone Wars, his, his character has developed significantly that he's got to the point now where he, he's reminded me in a similar way to Daenerys Stormborn of Game of Thrones, mm. that, that idea of self-reliance now, that confidence that he has within himself. He's assertive and assured, even though he's still young. And I think that really... You know, grants and 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 it is why he receives the the amount of respect and obedience from these bounty hunters, um, even though he is such a even though he's such a young boy, really. But yeah, what did you what do you make of Boba Fett really in these episodes? And I think one scene I didn't touch upon, which you might be interested to talk about, was that scene between Ventress and Boba Fett in the uh, in the chamber when she uh, force chokes him and kind of puts him in his place <laughs> yeah yeah well I, I thought it was interesting that boba was leading this mission just in general because you know he is he is so young i i, I do think it is partially a, a result of his father partially a result of bosk and you know who knows how long he's been out of prison and and you know maybe he's had some successes in that time he's starting to make a name for himself outside of outside of his family name and so I, I think that that's one thing, um, you know, clearly at this point, you know, he went to jail at the end of season two. And so he's been sort of hardened by prison. And so we, we see him and he's, he's out, he's killing lots of people, which as you mentioned before, he, he wouldn't do, he wouldn't kill the, the kids. He had a hard time ki just killing the clones in general, partially because they reminded him of Django. But I imagine that there's also partially, that's also partially due just to the fact that, um, you know, he's, he was still a kid and he was still somewhat compassionate. Um, but he couldn't kill that commander Killian either. Could yeah, he? exactly. He couldn't, and he wasn't a clone. Yeah, exactly. He could, he couldn't bring himself to, to kill those guys. Um, so, so there's that. And I think we did see a flash of that when, uh, when the girl fell out of the, the box, I think he realized in that moment that, hold on, something's not right here. 
But at the same time, you know, he sort of then had to then we see that he is now progressing from someone who does care to someone who doesn't care. Because as soon as he walks away from that, he puts in this he, he takes on this sort of cold bounty hunt, very bounty hunter esque attitude. And he's not going to help them. He's just going to uh, take his money. And and so we're seeing the gradual progression of Boba where in season two or in, in episode two, he's just a kid. I mean, you know, he's not, not a particularly nice kid, but he's just a kid. Season two, he's a kid who's tormented, but he still won't go to the, he won't go all the way. He won't kill people. In season four here, we've seen somebody who's been in prison, who's been in really the, a horrible situation. Um, and that has sort of driven him to those moments of compassion to, to where he has no compassion. And, and if it comes out in him for a moment, he suppresses it and takes on a more cold, calculated, uh, stance and and that's I think sort of what we saw when Ventress uh, force choked him. Uh, well, let's let's talk a little bit about Ventress in, in this episode. It's, it continues her story in an interesting way. She she finds this sort of new crew, and you know I I, I don't think Ventress has too much of a connection to, to anyone in that crew once it's over. Um, I mean, we do see her with with Lots Razi uh, in in Revenge very briefly, but I. Uh, you know, I don't don't expect that we'll ever see her working with them again. But she does sort of go. She is sort of brought face to face with somebody who has been who has basically gone through what she's gone through. She they, where they have basically just been a pawn, or or in in somebody else's game. You know, this young girl who's you know we get our first look at the Star Wars sex slave trade uh, subtly, but it's there. Um, she is, she's just sort of a symbol of status for this, this creepy overlord dude. Um, and, you know, Ventress is, can relate to that where she was just Dooku's pawn. She wasn't really important to him. Uh, he was willing to discard her right away and she doesn't have anywhere where she belongs. And so to bring her face to face with that, um, and she ultimately let, lets her go and, do you think that was sort of like a turning point for Ventress where she's almost more of – she's beginning to go down like a, a light – maybe not a light path, a path but a, a better path, like a good, good-ish good path? Because she – I mean she still does kind of rob them but you know she doesn't force this girl into really a life of hell. I think that's – this hit the nail on the head there really, Dominic, that – Ventress's sympathy really stems from her past and say what you will about Ventress she's had a tragic lifestyle she's had a yeah. tragic upbringing um she's lost so many fathers and mentors as I've enunciated previously and I think that Ventress is now hit a time in her life as you said where she's through she, she she's embarking on this transition process from from a Sith uh, and, and a Sith acolyte to a night sister, and and now to to something else. I mean, they just doesn't really know what doesn't understand or 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 can actually pinpoint what she wants to achieve now in life because she doesn't she doesn't have anyone really telling her what to do, and that's why I, I say she's becoming a lot more self relying that she's following her own ambition rather than somebody else's, whether it was Count Dooku's or whether it was Mother Towson's, and. I think that at least the bounty hunter side for Ventress is a sign and a signification of independence and autonomy from having to obey 
or at least be subordinate to someone, to, to anyone, to an, any, any, any individual really. Mm. And I think that's really what she gets from that. And the idea of this girl being enslaved, I think Ventress can very much relate to that, as you said, based really on her past experiences. But yeah, what, what did you make of that scene? Because that was a very poignant scene, Dominic, as you said, the, the moment when Ventress is talking with, with the, with the captured girl, where it really demonstrates to the audience that, 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 that Ventress can relate to this girl and, and, and she's not the same, uh, a really indoctrinated Sif wannabe as, as we had seen in the Clone Wars movie, for example. Yeah, it's interesting. We kind of see her and Boba going in opposite directions and they're kind of almost meeting in the middle where they're at the same point. They're just going different ways where Boba was like we talked about. He was he was going from nice young kid to cold hearted killer where we have Ventress going from cold hearted killer to something else. Somebody who is at least somewhat good and they they kind of meet in the middle. And so where Boba was at first very you know protective of the girl, he then went to cold calculating i'm going to turn her over ventress goes from cold calculating to i'm going to let her go but i'm still going to rob her or i'm going to make make her brother pay uh you know pay me money uh, which you know i guess is sort of the her sort of compromise where she gets to do the right thing but she'll still uh make off with make off better than she was at the start and so it, it it's interesting to sort of see her you know sort of after she has gone through everything she's gone through to come face to face with somebody else who is who has gone through something similar and is now asking for her help whereas everybody she has asked for help from before has ultimately turned their back on her or has been taken from her um as you mentioned whether it was Dooku or or Talzin or whoever and, and i think that that was very interesting to to see and and you know her her reaction her decision to let her go was, uh, I think, very telling. And it will be interesting to see. I mean, we don't, we don't see much of Ventress, much else of Ventress throughout the rest of the, the show. We see her and Ahsoka interact briefly, um, in the, in the season five finale. And, and, well, and her and Anakin. Um, but after that, we don't see her again. And, and there's that book coming out, Dark Disciple, which is coming out this, this summer. So it will be very interesting to see how things play out in there what happens there and and where she winds up what what she's doing in that book is she doing good or is she or is she still sort of on this this line uh, uh between good and evil and and we'll see we'll see how how that plays out you know her, her she's another one of those characters where her story isn't finished yet and and hopefully we get to 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 see more of it and and and, and well, I guess, and we definitely will in that book. So it's 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 all it's all coming up. What's it? July, I think, the, when the book comes out, late late July, I think. Um, and I, I'm really I'm really looking forward to reading it. Uh, I think you are too. Oh, I can't I can't wait for that book. It's going to be fantastic. There's so many up and coming Star Wars novels which are in the works now and, and will soon be published, which I think. St- Star Wars readers really, really need to indulge in because th- these are now canonized books here. This is, this is the type of literature which I, I've always wanted to be able to read. But you know, to, to talk about the Legends universe briefly, it's something which I never necessarily found myself 
partaking in as much because I never knew where to start and I never really knew what was canon, what was not canon. I'm I'm a very pro-canon uh, <laughs> Star Wars fan, as it were. So yeah, for Dark Disciple, the book to deal with to do with um, Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Boss is going to be absolutely fantastic. I'm I've no doubt about that. And as you said, I mean, we we both <laughs> cannot wait for it to be released. Yeah. Well, there's one last little interesting touch uh, for Ventress in, in the in this episode, is that she she does she she delivers the crate with Boba inside, which was hilarious, it's just hilarious. It's such a great way to end the episode, and she takes the money from the Overlord guy, and then she just takes her share and she gives the rest back. It, that seemed like a, an interesting decision is that just sort of like she's feeling good about what she's done and so she she wants to continue doing the right thing because really i i mean the smarter thing would have been to just take the money because i mean none of those other bounty hunters can hold a candle to her i mean she has two lightsabers on the force and they'd all be dead and empire strikes back would be very different <laughs> um if, if this had played out so uh, why why does she do that why do you think she did that I think it's just a change of her demeanor now and her character that she's no longer this ruthless, merciless Sif acolyte. She, she, she's her, her story's developing and it's evolving into something new. Mm. And she says that as much as the end that, you know, she says, I, I have a future now. And, and, and if her future is to be a bounty hunter, then it's probably not a great start to start alienating. Other the, well, so, so, some of some of the most important, well, or or, or killing some of the most important uh, bounty hunters in the galaxy, uh, Boba Fett and Bosk, I'm sure, on a number of people's lips. And as we see with uh, the likes of Savage Press, that you know he's wanted for a million credits. <laughs> I don't think really a Sarge Ventress wants that for the rest of her life, having to be wanted for murdering these people, because I'm sure she would have a bounty on her head as a result. We saw we saw that worked out for Han Solo. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think it's always you – know, she would always have to be on a tail, tailored and on the run. Yeah. Um, and also it would make her presence known to Count Dooku, for example. Mm-hmm. I think she just wants to lay low for the moment. And th- and then there is no real reason to do it. She got involved in the mission. They, you know, she, she rightly said she wants her share. Um, and I, I, I think it was at that moment, as you said, where she, she delivers Boba to them. And and she returns to the girl to the to the actual uh, brothers, is it? Not the brothers, the Marauders. I don't know what their clan was called. Yeah. But um, yeah, she feels there's something inside of her spiritually and emotionally that that, that makes her feel good about what she's done. So yeah. I think that it is just a change of her personality, really. Do you have any other no, I, notions that you want to express? Yeah, no, I, I agree with, with, with what you're saying there, that it, it sort of represents a shift in her character from being the Sith Acolyte to being something else. And what that is, it seems to be Bounty Hunter, uh, but we just, we still don't know where where it winds up. Again, Dark Disciple, what, this, this summer. <laughs> whatever it is, I don't think it's necessarily the job or the position of being a bounty hunter mm. that's important in her transition, I think it's the transition to independence yes. and autonomy. Yes, absolutely. The fact that she's no longer enslaved or uh, subordinate to an individual. Absolutely, yes. Uh, let's let's talk about brothers and revenge. Uh, I, 
I don't really have much more to say about the beginning of, of Brothers. Uh, it's just, you know, Savage running around and, and let, let, so, so let's skip to when he actually finds Maul because I think that's when things really get interesting is when he winds up in that tunnel and, and Maul is down there. So uh, let, let's just start with, with Crazy Spider Maul. What was your take on Scra- Crazy Spider Maul? My take on Crazy Spider Maul. I'll tell you, I'll switch it up a little bit, though, and, can, and, and, and I'll give you the opportunity first to speak your mind before I divulge what I made of him. So I will, I will throw all. back your own question to you, which you probably weren't <laughs> expecting. But yeah, I, well, I will say, yeah, what did you make? Not just a spider mall then, but the interaction with Savage Press and, 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 and as you said, seeing Maul for the first time since episode one in his crazy, insane mindset. I love spider mall. I think spider mall is, is great. Uh, I think this whole concept of Maul just using the force to keep himself alive, using the dark side to keep himself alive and going insane, becoming this, this rabid monster. And, you know, he's, he's still, you know, he's, he's still going on about Kenobi and he's reciting the Sith codes and he's, you know, he's almost like rehearsing what he would say to Sidious or he's reliving a conversation he had with Sidious with, you know, the whole thing about, you know, uh, um, mercy, mercy is for the weak. You know, mercy is for those who think they have power. You know, that whole thing. It's almost like and the he's, chains as well. I think yeah, the chains are the easy part. The chains are the easy part. These are almost like these things. That that the bit there about about mercy is, is almost like he's either remembering something he had talked about with the cities, or if he was ever he this is his madness and his madness is he thinks he's coming face to face with Sidious or this is what he would say if he did. And, and you just get the sense that he has gone absolutely insane. And, and it works because, you know, to bring him back after having been cut in half, he can't have just been in hiding. It, because then it's like, wh- where have you been? Why are you not? If, if you were okay two weeks after the Phantom Menace, after you were sliced in half, if you were okay, if you got those nice new legs, why weren't you back out there? Why didn't you go out and find Sidious and, and, and try to prove yourself again. Why didn't you go after Kenobi right away? And, and so I think having him down there and having him be crazy just kind of sells this idea of the Sith wanting to stay alive no matter what it takes. And it it, it, it kind of relates. It, it just one it it shows how how the um how the dark side can torment you how it will make you insane. And it kind of relates to rebels when the inquisitor says, and I think you pointed this out after we, after we watched the, after you watched the rebels episode in a, in a, in a conversation we were having online of, of, well, there are some things that are worse than death. And this, this in some ways maybe could be uh, construed as being worse than death because he is absolutely insane. There's if Savage hadn't come down there, he just would have continued eating garbage and yelling nonsense and being tormented while just because he just bought into the dark side so much that that was the only thing that could keep him alive because he, he feared death so much because for the Sith, and and this is something Dave Filoni says all the time for the Sith, there is nothing else. Life is all there is for the Jedi. There is a next step step, but for the Sith, there is an end point. And this is why I, 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 don't think Mace Windu is alive. You know, people always say, well, if they brought back Darth Maul, they can bring back Mace Windu. No, they can't. No, they can't. Mace is a Jedi. Uh, he would accept his death. He would move on to whatever is next. Maul cannot do that. Maul, Maul would tap into the dark side to keep himself alive. And even if Mace 
couldn't uh, accept his death, he wouldn't have. He doesn't have the the dark side aptitude to connect to uh, to keep himself alive the way that Maul does. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I love Spider Maul. I think that was a brilliant choice um, or a brilliant decision by the Clone Wars crew to bring him back and to have him be in this state because it, it makes it so much more interesting than if he had just been kind of in hiding uh, as a, you know, as a torso, you know, <laughs> like it, it, mm. it, 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 I, I thought it was really great, but uh, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. What, what did you think? I, again, you agree with a lot of your points that you've raised there, Dominic. Uh, I think it's so fascinating to examine more, not just physically, but psychologically. And, and we can see that, I mean, he is now just this, this impoverished, in this impoverished state, really, where, as you said, he's just reciting lines from when, from really discussions with Darth Sidious. That's, that's what we can both interpret that as. It's something that I agree upon. I can imagine Darth Sidious telling Maul, uh, or, or imparting these principles onto Maul and, and having him remember them for the rest of his life, really. And that's exactly what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't forget, it's the dark side that's keeping him alive. So it's, yeah. of course, it's symbolic then that he would also remember the lines mentally. Those are the last things he remembers. Uh, those are the things that he keeps on remembering and reciting because it's just uh, an exemplification of the dark side continuously saving him. And I think Sam, Whit- Sam Whitwood knock- knocks it out of the park with the way that he portrays Darth Maul's character. It's when you look at the behind-the-scenes footage where you can actually see Sam Whitwood acting in the studio. He yeah. doesn't just put a voice to Maul. He's genuinely performing the actions as well. And that's really class voice acting there when you can actually act along with the character and it, and it, and it was really showcased so well in that, in that finale of the brothers, of the episode entitled brothers. I think that, yeah, I mean, more coming back crazy and insane, as you said, it's, it's the right way to, to actually to perform it and portray it is the yeah. only way. I mean, you can't just have him out in hiding. As you said, it would make absolutely no sense. And I, I, I do like how how his uh, resurrection worked, as it were, and how how it was exhibited to the audience. I mean, remember back at the beginning of the episode, it, it seemed as though there was, it's a bit like the, the convergence of stars, the alignment of stars. All the pieces were now hidden together. Mm-hmm. Dooku could sense it. Obi-Wan could sense it. Yoda could sense it. Ventress could sense it. Anakin, Even Anakin. Yeah. And Ahsoka, well, not Ahsoka, but Anakin could. And I'm sure that Palpatine could as well. Yeah. And, and, well, and I, I love, uh, I love that sequence. I, I do love that bit where Anakin is you know Anakin can sense something is happening. I don't love the sequence in the diner just in general, but I do love that bit where Anakin senses something that can happen because he's like, it's familiar, but he doesn't know what it is because he he you know he subconsciously sensed Darth Maul during the events of the Phantom Menace, but he you know he didn't know how to use the Force back then. He didn't understand what he was feeling, and now that he has been trained to to do that, and he senses this, and he's like, this is familiar. This feels dark and evil and yet and i i feel like i've encountered this before but i don't know what it is and, and so i thought that line there you know it's familiar was was brilliant uh but yeah. sorry do continue absolutely and 
no, definitely a, a point that should be highlighted, really. I mean, I remember at first when I watched this, before we got right to the end, I was, it was intrigued to, to actually, um, to actually bear witness to the fact that it was Dooku, Ventress, and Anakin that could sense it. I was thinking, ooh, dark side. But yeah. then, of course, Yoda <laughs> reveals at the end that he could also sense it. But, uh, of course, he is one of the most powerful force Yoda. users in the galaxy. Um, <laughs> So, you know, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I, I do think that the way Maul was, uh, how he was played, how he was portrayed by the Clone Wars team, Katie Lucas, Dave Filoni, um, it, it was really perfection. And I think, as you said, the, the idea of a spider Maul, it was the dark side that was keeping him alive. And as you said, with the Sith Inquisitor line, there are some things worse than death. I know I don't want to go into a rebels run here, but I'm sure that's what the Inquisitor was citing when when he when he said he feared death, he feared the torment that would he would have to suffer at the hands of Darth Vader. Yeah, and the same way that Maul is is suffering through at the torment existence of, of, because of, of the fact that he's psychologically uh, enfeebled, he's. Uh, he's, be- he's become mad, crazy, insane. He's living in a dark, desolate environment on Lofo Minor. Well, I-, I have to say, it'd be interesting to find out how he actually ended up at Lofo Minor. That was never really answered in these episodes. Yeah, how he went I don't from the boot to Lofo to Minor. Though. But maybe, maybe, well, if it's a junkyard, maybe he just went out of the trash. Yeah, I don't exactly. Know. Like, like, that's the thing. Like, you know, people are like, well, how did he get there? Like, who cares? <laughs> it, that's one of those elements of the, of the story that, I, I think we can fill in ourselves. It doesn't need to be told. Not everything needs to be told. We don't need to know how Maul got from Naboo to Lotho Minor unless there's a story there. If there's not a story, then it's superfluous information that we don't need. We can fill in that ourselves. He, you know, in his, he fell down that reactor shaft and, you know, you could say the janitor from Robot Chicken sweeps him up. Not actually. Um, but you know, he's, he's sort of, he was able to claw his way onto a garbage barge or, or he into the trash, you know, like it, it, it doesn't seem to me to be something that needs to be filled in. It, it's just something that, that happened. And like, like we can just kind of, you know, he wound up on a, on a, in the trash. Like that, that's all you really need to know because in, like I said, unless there's a story of like, you know, the force called him there because there was something there for him, which clearly there isn't. Um, we, we don't need to know it. It's, it's not every little instance. We don't need to know what happened to Luke Skywalker every minute of every day. We don't need to know that, you know, right before uh, he left to go out on that mission on Hoth at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back, he used the third bathroom on the second floor of Echo Base. Like, we don't need to know that information. That's completely superfluous to the to, to the story. What we do need to know is that Luke was out there uh, on Hoth riding his Tauntaun when the Imperial uh, probe droid crashed and he went to go look for it and he was attacked by a Tauntaun. Like, that, that's the stuff we need to know, not some of this other stuff. Oh, yeah, no, I, I agree. It doesn't have to be explicitly... Uh, or, or, or visually showcased to us as audience members. But I think it's still interesting to extrapolate and conjecture about, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, we, you know, that, I mean, how he got there, as you said, we, we can fill in the gaps ourselves, really. It, it's, it's a redundant point. But at the same time, I could also say that um, a lot of what we saw in a Brothers episode could also be construed as super... Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, how would you say your name? The, the, the word there? Super, superfluous. superfluous. Yeah, superfluous. There we are, that's it. I, yeah. I know what it means. I'm just, just trying to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. 
Mackenzie part that I have. But I'll use a different term then, and I'll say negligible. There we go. There's a different term for you. <laughs> but I think that, yeah, I mean, for example, like that walk of Savage Press going through the Lofo Minor junkyard, dockyards, really. I mean, it's, it doesn't doesn't need to be seen, really. Yeah. I think that that could have been filled in with something. That could have been filled in with more time of of talking to more, even though he was mad and insane. But it's still just interesting to learn more about his character through that fact. And that's the point. Just because he's talking seemingly gibberish, or it seems to be he's talking absolute nonsense and he's not articulating himself in the same way as a sane individual would, we learn about his back past and the story from that fact. The fact that he's, as we said, reciting the dialogue of the Sith. And, 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 and we learn a little bit about Sidious from that point of view, and how he was indoctrinating and teaching more, how he was mentoring him. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean more to an extent, still sees him as, as his master, even though the ties have been severed and, and he's now just this seeming... You know, Sith, you know, he's not a Sith Lord. He's just a, um, a, a Sith disciple, really. That's what it, that's what he's become. And yeah. I think that it's quite interesting to see how Maul really perceives the environment and the world around him since he had his, you know, since he had his uh, torso chopped off, as it were. <laughs> Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, I just want to go back to something you, you were saying a second ago about uh, brothers. Be the a lot of brothers. The episode being superfluous, or uh, what was the word you used? That nah, doesn't matter. The, the, word, the word I used <laughs> was negligible. Negligible. Or negligent. Yeah, I would. I would love to see and and. Um, Marvel, I guess Marvel should do this. I got, I got four issue or six issue or, or however long a mini series about Savage Press that sort of carries us from the end of the Night Sisters trilogy to the beginning of the episode Brothers that goes on that journey that we wanted to see in the show of, of Savage being in the place, um, mentally and, and spiritually and, and, and geographically. Um, where he had to be to find Maul. And I feel, feel like you could do some really good things where that planet that he's on, he's not just randomly there. He's, what we're seeing, him in the diner, what we're seeing is, uh, you know, just shortly after he just completed this sort of ultimate task on, on, uh, on, on this planet where that, after which he was ready to, you know, go on, go on this journey. And I feel like that would work a lot better. Uh, than, than just how it is right now where he was on the planet, he was in the diner, he got chased out, he found some dust and he went to the right planet. I, I, I feel like, the, uh, the episode could be, really be enhanced by some, some good, uh, some good comics or even a novel. Um, but anyways, that's, this kind of beside the point. Uh, let's, let's talk about the reborn Maul. He's, he's reborn after his, his, uh, his, his time with Mother Talzin where she clears out his head using the Night Sister magics. And he comes back and a couple of really interesting things happen. First, he tries to use the force to call his lightsaber and it takes a moment and, but he eventually works, but you sort of get the sense that he's, you know, his, his connection with the dark side, he was using the dark side in such a, a, a strange way um, to keep himself alive that it almost, 
that it damaged the way he connects with the force. You know, you, you spend too much time on the dark side, it, it damages you in, 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 in various ways, whether physically, mentally, and, and perhaps that's sort of why he was sort of struggling to call his lightsaber to his hand. That, that's my theory. Um, also pretty much drained, as you said. Yeah, <laughs> drained. Force capability, as you said, he'd been holding himself alive for so long. Yeah. And then the other line is, you know, when Savage mentions the Clone Wars and he goes, ah, so it began without me. I love that. I love that it just sort of gives us a little bit more insight into Sidious and that, you know, Sidious really has had this plan. And, it, and it's one of those moments that it, it enhances the prequel films because it really makes it abundantly clear that Sidious was planning everything, that, he, that this whole plot has been planned out since long before the events of the Phantom Menace ever really started. And I just, I love those two moments. It's in that, it's in just one scene and, uh, and it, it's just some really fantastic stuff. So I'll just throw it to you if, if you wanted to, uh, to comment on, on either of those. Yeah, I think that, as you said there, the, the, the reborn and resurrection of Darth Maul was so fascinating because we, we get to delve into, Again, a bit about his past, but also, as you said, learning a bit more about Sidious. And I agree with your point, as I stated earlier, about the the, the fact that he's drained his energies, uh, his force uh, energies through uh, using the dark side to sustain himself for such a long period of time that even the simple act of using the force to actually grip hold of his lightsaber took a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. And that's understandable. But the, the the main line, which is fascinating, is is what you spoke about there, where where Maul feels. I mean, he also feels, doesn't he, that the the force is out of balance. He notices it when when he wa- walks out of the temple, um, and then obviously Savage tells him about the Clone Wars, and you just wonder what. I mean, how much does Maul know about the Clone Wars and the plan that was created? What was necessarily his role? Yeah. And I, I always keep referring back to the Darth Plagueis novel because until someone has told me otherwise, I, I do want to constitute that as canon because I feel there's so much, uh, it's just an abundance of, of, of material there which is really appropriate and, and useful to cite for these episodes in particular. And you see in that novel when Darth Plagueis and Darth Sidious are concocting their plans to create the clone army and that Sidious goes to Dathomir and acquires Maul as a baby and, and takes him on as, as really an assassin, the mm. same way that Dooku took on Ventress as an assassin. But obviously when they were alone, that's uh, Sidious and Maul, then you know, Sidious proclaimed him as an apprentice. I think it's quite interesting how that works. I, d- I do wonder how, what was Sidious's aspirations for Maul? Well, I- I'll ask you that question. That's a bit of speculation there, but had Maul survived the Battle of Naboo, do you think that Sidious would have taken Maul on as, as an apprentice the same way he took on Anakin? Or do you also think that or do you think that Maul was was an means to a greater end? Uh, well, I think everybody for for Sidious is a means to a greater end. I, I think with Maul, he was definitely set up to be the Dooku of the Clone Wars. That is what his role was going to be. And keep in mind, at this point, Sidious had no idea about Anakin Skywalker. You know, he didn't know who Anakin Skywalker was. For all he knew, uh, the he would be one day sitting on the Death Star with Darth Maul standing next to him. 
I, I think that was the plan originally was to use Darth Maul, but as is the Sith way, if somebody proves themselves not to be not to be strong enough they are you know you don't protect a sith lord you have to make sure they are strong enough you have to if when they are challenged they have to win on their own and if they do not and they die well then you have to replace them and i think that's what we see with maul whereas where sidious uh had originally planned everything with maul and maul was going to be very dooku like and we see in uh season five that he does have some of those same qualities as dooku that that he is able to rally the troops behind him he is able to get everybody to work with him um you know with he gets that that whole shadow collective together of, of death watch and, and black sun and and the pikes and, and everybody the huts and and so you know maybe things would have been slightly different because dooku is a little bit more of a politician whereas maul is a little bit more of a, a well, he's more of a just a, a kill kill everybody kind of guy. Um, so things may have, things would have probably played out in sl- somewhat different ways. Some of the specifics may have been different, but overall, the the whole plan I think was to have Maul be the Duke or Vader or however you want to look at it of the Empire of Sidious's great Sith Empire, the return of the Sith, and at least that that's what I think. That's what I think what, what Palpatine had in store for, for Darth Maul. I think, you know, in the Phantom Menace, he doesn't have many lines. He doesn't do a whole bunch. And so that has led some people to think he was more of just sort of a, an assassin or, or a tool to, to just go out there and kill. Um, but I really think that City has planned a lot more for Maul, for Maul. And, uh, and we, and like I said, we get a little bit of a, a hint of that in season five. But what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think that, as you said, more would have worked as a, as a tool the similar way that Dooku did. But I think the difference is I could see more playing a similar role to what we see in the Mandalorian arc of season five, where he works behind the scenes. But there's this vocal figure, whether it was like Prime Minister Almec or, mm. or somebody else who was a figurehead to be that politician. Because I think for Sidious, that was crucial. Yeah, The idea of legitimizing the separatists as a, as a different political entity. Because that was what was going to draw the star systems and, and, and create well, what was going to create this schism, I should say, between the different star systems within the Republic. I think that was necessitated, really. But I think the more would have worked more behind the scenes, as you said, to build the factions together or work with the lights of the Trade Federation. And yeah. Because you see that, you know, he's there on the boot, isn't he? Yeah. Next to Mute Gunray and Rune Hako. And, 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 and so you can imagine it more. Yeah, is in communication with those figures as well. So I, I could, I, I agree with you. I could see him playing a similar role to Dooku there. Yeah. The only difference may well have been that, as you said, he may, uh, Sidious would have perceived that Maul could have been his assassin for near all time. Um, he's so loyal to Sidious and he's so afraid of Sidious that he would never rise up against him. Mm. And yet Maul was a very, very powerful assassin as well. But obviously, as you said, that may well no it would have all changed not may well it would have all changed after the events of episode one regardless because of anakin skywalker yeah so it's it's just so interesting to conjecture about this really but as you said the point is what we learn about sidious's plot and and the way that the more enunciates the fact that the clone wars had commenced without him it it does just showcase to the audience the longevity of Sidious's plan. It had been set in motion a long time, and the events of the Clone Wars itself 
are the events being set in motion. It's too late now. Yeah. Uh, by the by, the time Sidious has been granted the emergency powers, in, in a way, that's kind it's, of it's just an empire all but him declaring it so. Yeah. Uh, when he declares it in episode three, in my mind, that's not the inauguration of the empire in terms of Sidious legitimizing his power and authority. I think he already had that power and authority. It was just putting it on a pedestal, putting it on a on a banner and saying, yep, for those of you who were stupid enough to not realize we were already, in a way, living under an empire, this is it. We are now a galactic empire. Yeah. He's changed the name from the Grand Republic. Um, so I think, yeah, it, as you said, it's, just, it's, it's really compelling to learn about that. Uh, do, do you want to add anything about the line that, that Maul had, had stated there about the Clone Wars and and uh, and Sidious's plan? No, I, I think we, we we've we've covered most of it there. I think you know, the main point is that this plan has been in motion for a very long time, and 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 it just goes to show the genius of Sidious and that he does in fact control everything that. Everything is playing out, you know, exactly as I have foreseen. You know, he, he, he's winning. That, that's, that's the scary thing is, and you get this, this sense from Maul that, you know, this has been something that has been worked on for over, probably, well over 10 years, probably more, probably over 20, 25 years. Well, Sidious was working his way up through the politics of the, of the Republic and while he was training with Plagueis and, and all that. Well, let's talk about well, let's talk about that that final final duel between Obi Wan. Actually, I, I'm I'm curious. There's one one thing I want to get to before we get to that duel, and that is when Obi Wan finds out that Maul is alive, and he says, "You know, I'm going to go fight him. I'm going to go take on Maul." And Mace is all like, "No, no, 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 no! Don't do that, Obi Wan. We're going to send some people with you." But Yoda steps in and says. Finish what he what he began. Obi Wan must, or or something along those lines. I, and and that got me thinking. You know, Obi Wan was made a Jedi after his duel with Darth Maul. Because he defeated the Sith Lord after watching his master die, and that was essentially his unofficial Jedi trial. You know, they they I I get the impression that that happened, and Yoda went, okay, that was your trial. Um, you don't have to do this, this test that we have over here. That was, that was more than enough. And then, you know, bestow on you the level of master that council does, yada, yada, yada. So I wonder if, is this something where Yoda feels that Obi-Wan has to defeat Darth Maul to keep his title? Or, or is it more of a, a thing for Obi-Wan on a, on a confidence level that he has to be able to, to face down the man who killed his, his master and his best friend, Qui-Gon Jinn? I, I, I'm curious on your take on, on why you think Yoda decided that Obi-Wan should go at this alone. I know, granted, he did sense that he would get some, uh, surprise help, but, uh, it did seem a bit, uh, I, I'm a bit curious as to why Yoda felt that Obi-Wan should t- do this by himself. Hmm. It's an interesting one. And obviously he says we have to trust in the force and yeah. and it's something which Yoda has sensed. And I think Yoda is one of those figures where he never ever wants to go against what the force is telling him or right. or, or how, however it's uh how, how however it's uh, communicating with Yoda. And I think the the force was telling him uh, to, to send and dispatch Obi-Wan alone. Mm. And 
and I, I I do wonder why that's the case. And and perhaps you said it's partly unfinished business. It's almost another Jedi trial, really, isn't it? For yeah. Obi Wan having to face his fear once again. Yeah. Um, you know, returning from the abyss, as it were. And also, there is the point when Darth Maul obviously says, "I will be killing more innocents. There'll be more innocent blood on your hands, Kenobi, if you yep. send more support." There is that aspect there, but I think the overriding fact is, is, is the force that was guiding Yoda to make this decision. Yes. And Yoda ultimately trusts in the force, and I could not imagine Yoda going against it at all. Uh, and we see that as much, don't we, in the in the Yoda arc of season six, where he is able to transcend the the notion of becoming a Jedi into something much more. Uh, a, a day at life figure as it were because yeah. of his embracement of an acceptance of the force absolutely that's what i believe that's my conjecture but i wonder what your assessment is on on the reasons behind yoda sending obi-wan alone yeah i, I like what you're saying i i was I, I it's one that i i still don't have a have a concrete answer in my mind for and that's all right I, you know it's one of those it's one of those things that i i, I continue to to puzzle over because it does seem like an, an odd moment. I, I I do like what you're saying about you know Yoda trusting in the Force, and you can sense that maybe this is this is something Obi Wan has to do alone. Um, I also like the idea that maybe it's a, it's almost a second trial for Obi Wan. That you know it's, it's it's one of those things you know you, you never stop learning, um, and and Obi Wan now is going to have to face his ultimate fear uh, uh, again. Basically, you know he's going to have to come face to face with the guy who killed Qui Gon Jinn right in front of him. So I, I think it's interesting to put the, to, to, to look at that scene. Again, it's, it's, I, I don't, it's not, it's not that I don't like this scene. And, and I want to make that clear about these, these episodes. You know, we're bringing these things up for discussion points. Um, not because I think that they're, they're bad and we have to explain them away. We have to retcon them away. I just think they're interesting. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I know I started off to, this episode talking about some of my my grievances with this this arc overall and and some of the issues i have with it and and i don't want to 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 give the impression that i'm painting the whole arc with uh with a negative negative brush and and that i think that and just bringing up some of these things is not about oh i don't i don't like that yoda sent obi-wan i think that was bad no 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 no. I, i think that's interesting i think that's that's an interesting point for discussion and that's why why we're bringing it up and talking about it uh, so I just wanted to make that clear, but I, it, yeah, it's, it's something that it, I, there's multiple. I think there could be multiple explanations for it, whether it's a, a trial for Obi Wan Kenobi, which seems a bit odd that they would be willing to risk lives that the Jedi would do this. Um, so I, I do kind of like your idea that that it's Yoda sensing something in the Force that this is something that Obi Wan has to do alone, and and maybe. You know, maybe he mis maybe he misread the situation because Darth Maul gets away. Darth Maul gets away and, and wreaks havoc on the galaxy. Maybe this is an instance of the dark side clouding Yoda's vision, and Yoda mm. thinks he's he's getting the message that Obi Wan has to do this alone. When really it's Obi Wan should not do this alone. You should send Mace and Anakin and and Plo Koon and and Ayla and and, and Kit Fisto and and all these other Jedi with him and and face down this guy because Maul does get away and it leads to a lot worse things happening in the galaxy. I mean, he does sense that there would be this unexpected ally, which, yeah. which is interesting, but I, I do like your point there of the idea that the, the, 
dark side enshrouds everything really and yeah. it's it's something that it's, it's such a great line really that that was put forward in episode two uh-huh. Uh, at the end of it, because it, it really does summate a lot of what's taking place in the Clone Wars, and it adds a lot of conjecture and speculation towards these events. I do think that is the Force is, is is the main reason why, or uh, Yoda's trust in the Force is the main reason why he decides to step in and and and, and allow and permit Obi Wan to go alone. Because, or from a rational point of view, why would it be the best option to? dispatch as you said a jedi master on the council to face off against someone who is uh yeah who has come back from the dead seemingly you know mace windu says it's far more that important to capture him alive and find out how it's happened yeah and it would make sense to send a number of generals to to solve take him it. down yeah but ultimately they decide not to and i think that is that is is the the guidance of the force really that that warrants this? Maybe it was Qui Gon speaking again. Who knows? Um, you know, we, we, I mean, Yoda doesn't know that Qui Gon speaks to him for a while. But being, I'm I'm always intrigued to see what I mean. Who is the force? What is? I mean, it, it works in so many mysterious ways. But I, 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 I in my mind, I could imagine Qui Gon speaking being the voice, of speaking it, yeah. the voice. I really could. I really. I mean. He, he, he to me now, particularly from what we see in the later arc of season six, he's like the day at like uh, the day at archetype, the, 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 the deity of the force. Really, uh, he is the voice, the Liam Neeson voice. Yeah, a bit like Aslan in Donnie. You know? <laughs> I could just exactly. see him being the wise, omnipotent figure. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's let's talk about the duel, the 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 four four way duel between uh, Obi Wan and Ventress, a team up that. Uh, don't think anybody expected, uh, and then Savage and Maul, and with everybody having a red lightsaber in there. Again, it goes back to, to what I was talking about with, with the colors, and then, you know, the one guy who winds up with the blue lightsaber is Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's, you know, he's the one character that we know will stay on the good path no matter what. Um, but it was just, just a, a, a fantastic duel with a lot of really great banter, not only between Obi-Wan and Maul, but Obi-Wan and Ventress, and Ventress and Maul and Savage, and just, like everything about that that duel was was really good and and lots of lots of chopped in half jokes and and, and all kinds of of good stuff and it was interesting to see the brothers get the upper hand on Obi Wan and Ventress and which is kind of a kind of turning the tables from the last time the, uh, the you know they would fight when you know Ventress was able to take down Savage you know back in Monster in in, in season two you know she beat him up in in that um trial that she had going there and of course we know obi-wan chop he bisected maul and, and so it, to, to see it's that's such that's such great language such great use of language for whoever wrote those uh, those episode descriptions um and uh it, uh and just to see this fight and like i said it was one that it felt like it was a substantial fight because sometimes the fights on the clone wars especially the lightsaber fights they they felt short they were just quick little clash, clash, and it's over because, well, that's all the time they they had. Um, but this one really, they they gave it a good five minutes, and it was it was fantastic, and it just really up up until you know really until Previsla fought Maul in season five was was the best of the lightsaber duels, and 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 really really you know top two or three of of the series and, and so i'll just throw it over to you for your your thoughts on the duel 
Oh, visually it was awe-inspiring, really. As you said, it was, it's been labelled as one of the best jewels of the series and, uh, I, I, I can't remember, but I think it might well have made a list of the top 10 lightsaber jewels on StarWars.com as well, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, be so shocked yeah. about <laughs> because it is, as you said, as a spectacle, it's just, it's just, it's just absolutely phenomenal, really. I can't, yeah. not many jewels can really capture that. And it's that obviously emotional side with Ventress and Savage have history. Obi-Wan and Maul have history. Um, Obi-Wan yeah, and Ventress and, and, have and, history. And I, and, I, and I enjoy that aspect, I think, when there's that emotional backing. The same way as the recent jewel we've seen with the Inquisitor in Canaan. Yeah. I think that is up there with some of the best partly you know, the score makes it so much more epic but also the fact they've been fighting for so long uh, and that's the type of thing that, that really works in star wars and and as we see it's the build-up in the clone wars the build-up of uh savage and Asage, and then i can't believe they sound exactly the same don't they savage <laughs> and Asage, and then the um maul and and, and obi-wan and it, it just works so well but before i get your take on the jewel as well i, I want to ask you this question which is linked to the duel as well. Uh, what did you make of that scene in the duel between Obi-Wan and Maul when Maul is, is goading Obi-Wan and, uh, about the fact he's killed Qui-Gon and, and, and he discusses the fact that Obi-Wan has, uh, has unleashed this, this deep hatred, you know, that's not the Jedi way. I mean, what does that say then about Obi-Wan when he takes on the Sith that seemingly something within him come, uh, surfaces, you know, something yeah. dark. Something you'd expect Anakin to do, surely, not Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm. Well, uh, you know, James Arnold Taylor said in the uh, the episode uh, featurette for this arc, or the special feature for this arc, uh, that, you know, when he was playing the character, he kind of reverted back a little bit to that younger Ewan McGregor, the episode one kind of thing for the voice. And I think the character on a whole kind of does that where he reverts to a younger version of himself where he's sort of he's not thinking as clearly as he was. And maybe this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Yoda, that this is why Obi-Wan has to face Maul. He has to you know, come face to face with his ultimate fear and overcome it without tapping into the dark side. And really, Obi-Wan fails. He, he fails this test and you know, I, I, there's still more mall to be told. Uh, there's still at least one more story out there. And I think, you know, for everything that mall has done to Obi-Wan, we need one more story between the two of them, whether it's, it's in comic book or novel or whatever audio adventure, you know, <laughs> anything that they, that they want to put out. Um, because I, I do believe there's one more story there. Um, you know the uh, the uh, the comic book has a bit of an ambiguous ending as for what what's next for Maul, and I, I do believe that that you know Obi Wan ultimately has to be the one to kill him, and he has to do it in a way that um, cements his his himself in in the light side because even in Episode One, it seemed like he tapped into a bit of the dark side there uh, when he killed Maul. You know maybe he was just really focused. Uh, but it, there's a little bit of ambiguousness that maybe he did tap in a little bit to, to the dark side. And so to get that, so maybe in order to be in the place where he is ready to, uh, a, to become a force ghost, um, to look, to learn from Qui-Gon and, and Yoda, uh, at the end of episode three, he has to sort of overcome first, he has to overcome this, this thing with Maul and then he has to face Anakin 
And when we see when he faces Anakin, he never gets angry. He gets emotional, but he never gets angry. He doesn't he doesn't he's not furious with Anakin. He doesn't tap into the dark side. He is still fighting with the light side and he is using emotion, which, you know, we tend to associate emotion with the dark side. But we know from the fact that that the way that Luke overthrows Vader, emotion can be a tool of the light. And what we see Obi-Wan doing in episode three is fighting with emotion as a tool of the light to attempt to stop um, one of the most evil people in the galaxy. And he almost succeeds. Um, but the fact, but it, I don't know if he would have been ready to take on this, this greater power had he killed Anakin in a fit of rage. And so I think that one more test for Obi-Wan has to be facing down Darth Maul without getting angry and defeating him finally once and for all. And then he will be in that place where he is ready to take on Anakin without um, getting angry. And then from there, he is ready to uh, learn this new higher power in the Force. Well, do you reckon that we will see Darth Maul appear in Star Wars Rebels? I don't... I mean, just to get your opinion on that, because obviously, as you said, his ending was ambiguous, and I think it would be good to see some sort of resolution between Maul and Kenobi, which I, I, I don't imagine would happen in a period, uh, the dark eight days, no, I, or I the don't... dark age of the Empire, but I would be interested to hear your thoughts on whether you believe Darth Maul could appear on Star Wars Rebels. I... I would rather he didn't. I I think it's possible. I hope they don't go that route, I, but I do think it's possible because, again, if, if the Clone Wars had been able to finish and then they just naturally moved on to Rebels as the next thing, I would definitely say no because I believe that the, the Darth Maul story would have concluded in the Clone Wars. But now there is the possibility that they could change the story and have it uh, and have Maul show up in Rebels. I hope they don't. I think it would be better to complete his story, be it in another comic book series. Hopefully, um, instead of just four issues, it'll be like 12 issues or something where we can really get into some of some things in a, in a much deeper fashion than we did in Son of Dathomir. Um, or in a novel. I would love that. I would love a great, you know, final showdown between Kenobi and and uh and and maul in a novel although i think because they continued the story in, in comic book form once they kind of have to continue it in comic book form again just uh, i don't know it, it just it feels like there'd be a little bit maybe there should be some con- continuity in the medium um but i i i hope we don't see maul in rebels not because i don't like the character not because i don't like sam Witwer's portrayal of the character i love the character i love what they've done with the character i think it's fascinating i would be definitely be interested in more maul stories set even before the Phantom Menace or set uh, in this time period that we're dealing with now. Um, but I would rather we just uh, we hit his story end prior to the events of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. How about it, you? How do you I, feel? I, 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 part of me would think it would be a, an interesting story to have him back, but how you would manage it and how you would fit it would have to be extremely important because I, he's not a throwaway character mm-hmm. that you can just put into an episode. I mean, he's a legacy character, and I think it's a little bit different uh, to put someone like Maul in compared to, say, Lando. Yeah. Lando fits in very well, and you know, he's the smuggler, and I, I, I think that that's a lot easier to pull off than bringing Maul back. And how his story would be resolved. I mean, you could even argue 
if Moore was still alive at this point, why would Sidious not think about putting him up against Vader? Yeah. I mean, Vader's in cyborg form here, and granted he is still a very, very powerful being, but Maul has shown himself in the Clone Wars to be more than capable to be a match for the Jedi. Yeah. Again. I don't know. It's an interesting point. I think I think particularly the way the Clone Wars has portrayed Maul, they portrayed him as being one of the most powerful villains up there, really, with the likes of Dooku and Anakin. Uh, you know, I mean, he's bested... Obi-Wan Kenobi in a duel, um, you know, pre-Vizsla as well. Uh, you know, the, I know pre-Vizsla's not a force user, but he's shown himself as being capable. And I think that to bring him back in Rebels would be... I, if it happened, I wouldn't be too disappointed by it because I think there could be a lot of room for an interesting story. Mm-hmm. But they'd have to put it off in such a way that it would be authentic enough to believe. That's what I think. Sure. But as you said, it's not necessary, and particularly with the inclusion now of Darth Vader, it yeah. would seem less likely anyway that there would be a need to put more in. Although, that, that, I mean, there have been rumours with Sarah Michelle Gellar now on the show um, that she may well be playing some sort of Sith Inquisitor. I mean, she won't be playing Darth Maul, but I think what that also <laughs> demonstrates, obviously, uh, well, that, and obviously Sam Witwer is playing, um, well, rumoured to be playing the Emperor. Yeah. Obviously, he is the voice of Darth Maul, which means, you know, people are speculating about that fact. But, you know, with the inclusion of another Sith Inquisitor, Palpatine and Vader, you've suddenly got a lot of villains there. You don't need to bring Maul in, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, Maul, Maul's story is one that I've, uh, uh, you know, what what's next is is often sort of been something I've thought about because it it does kind of end in a way where we're we're sort of in that who who knows what and or you know who knows what happens next for him because they, it is ambiguous and we we don't have a definitive ending for his character. And, you know, I, I've often thought, you know, maybe it would be cool to have him be a test, you know, a test that Sidious unleashes on Vader. And, you know, like like you suggested there. Or I even thought at one point that, you know, the only way to give Maul a fitting death would not be to have Obi-Wan Kenobi kill him alone, but to have Obi-Wan and Darth Vader team up uh, to kill him alone. And, and then Vader would essentially, in his last moments of humanity as Anakin, would let Obi-Wan escape which would make that that line, uh, you should not have come back, old man, uh, a little bit more uh, resonant in in a in a new hope. But really, I I do think that ultimately, um, you know, and and just talking about it now, it really cements in my mind that the way Maul uh, Maul's story has to end is it has to be Kenobi defeating him without the without tapping into anger or the dark side. Um, he can use emotion, like I said, he can use emotion. But not specific, not not the emotions of fear or anger. All right. Well, in, unless uh, unless you have anything else uh, you'd like to bring up about these episodes, maybe we should uh, should get into some of our favorite quotes. Yeah, I would completely concur with that. I mean, we touched upon a lot to be fair today, yeah. so I think yeah, we'll move on then to favorite quotes. Favorite quotes. All right. So, are you ready, or shall I go first? Oh, I will stick it, stick in, and uh, go first. Then right. dig, dig, dig deep into these quotes here. So the first one I've got is from Massacre, mm. and it's uh, Mother Tao's in line when she has Dooku's 
a single lock of Count Dooku's hair and she says he should be more careful than making deals with witches. It's just a, it's a creepy and eerie line, but I think it works really well. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was, uh, yeah, it was a typical Mother Townsend line. Yeah. But over to you then. What have you got a favorite quote from Massacre? Well, I'm just going to, because I know you're going to try and take all of these. I'm just going to start at revenge and, and, and use some of the, the great banter at the end there. Uh, and specifically my favorite, favorite line possibly in the entire series, or at least my favorite kind of, smack talk line from the entire series is uh from ventress when you know she first sees savage and maul and she you know who is that and 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 savage goes my brother and she goes a brother looks like he's half the man you are savage and i love that i think that was uh, a phenomenal line and phenomenal delivery by nika futterman but i'll throw it back over to you do you have another favorite yeah i'm gonna go and stick in my chronological order here and go with (laughs) bounty and it's uh, it's a good one in a Mos Eisley cantina when Ventress is there and she's talking with one of the crew members who she's inevitably about to kill and he's like, oh, I'm talking to you, lady. And then she like ignites a lightsaber, stabs him and everyone turns and looks at her and she says, I'm not much of a talker. And then everyone turns back again. I just like, that's a great line. And it's typical cantina style, that, isn't it? When everyone suddenly looks, it's like, oh, no, someone's been killed. And then this is so someone says a witty line, and they're like, oh, that's fine. Then. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. We'll go back to normal. All right. So I'll, <laughs> All is well. But I'll, over to you, then, for another quote. Yeah, well, I'll go in reverse chronological order. I'll do one from uh, from Brothers, and it's, it's a crazy, it's a spider mall line. And he says... And when he's just kind of going crazy, he says, always remember, I am fear. Always remember, I am hunter. Always remember, I am filth. Always remember, I am nothing. I, I love that line. I love that. I, I love that whole sequence with, with, with Crazy Maul and everything he says. But that really, I think, epitomizes, epitomizes it. And, and again, just kudos to Sam Whitworth for a phenomenal, phenomenal performance. Uh, but I'll throw yes. it back over to you for another quote. Absolutely, and it is also a Maul line as well. Um, and it's just the last line he says in that episode when he talks to Savage. And Savage is like, brother, what are you saying? And he says, revenge. I must have revenge. <laughs> and obviously we all know where that's going to end up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was a great line. And then I'll throw it back over to you then Yeah, for well, another quote that you have. Well, I'm gonna go back to, go back to, uh, to, uh, revenge for, for another one, uh, from, uh, from, from Ventress, uh, when, when she first sees Obi-Wan, uh, there and he's been beat up, he's kind of knocked out. She says, Kenobi, don't tell me someone's finally knocked the fight out of you. I, I, I thought that was a, that was, wasn't so much a funny line, but it was a nice sort of line and an acknowledgement of their past together. And, and, uh, and yeah, again, I, I, Great performance by Nika Futterman as as uh, as Ventress in, in all of these episodes. Absolutely, uh, and Revenge. There were so many great lines. Yeah. I mean, so many other ones. I did like, you know, Arise, Reborn, Son of Daphomir, yeah. Mother Towson, and then another great one from Moore, which was when he said to Savage, "I used to be uh, apprentice to the most powerful being in the galaxy. I could have been so much more." Again, just feeding into some of his ambitions. But I've gone for this one. It's a, as it, uh, it would be, of course, a little bit of banter between Ventress and Obi Wan, and it's yeah. one that hasn't been said yet. And um, Ventress hands Obi Wan the red lightsaber, and she says, "I want that back." Oh. And he says, "That's fine. Red's not my color." Nice, great nice. One there, I like that it? one. 
I like that one. Well, another bit of banter between those that was that was pretty great. Uh, was uh, was Ventress? Do you want to run? Or, or yeah, do you want to run? Obi Wan says, "I learned from watching you," and she goes, "Funny," and just <laughs> really uh, again more acknowledgement of of their past and 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 just pulling it off really well. And I'm gonna, gonna take one more uh, as Obi Wan line when he's being beat up by Darth Maul, and, and and he says to Maul, "I like your new legs. They make you look taller." I thought that was just brilliant. Another good. Half a or a half a mall joke, and 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 really some great stuff. So do you have a do you have any more, or is that it? That's it. Although I can't remember exactly what it was, but another line when Maul's got him there at the a lightsaber, and he says, well, "When I cut it's something to the effect of, you know, I cut off the wrong half quite clearly." He says, "You know, yeah." When uh, he says, "I should have cut," when I should have cut off your, well, I, you know what I mean. Yeah, when he says, uh, well, "When I when I cut you in half, I should have aimed for your neck instead." Yes, that's yeah. it. That's the line. That's a great one. Classic no, Obi Wan. Good old Obi Wan. Yeah. All right. So that is going to do it for this week. It's time for final thoughts and score out of ten on the episodes: Massacre, Bounty, Brothers, and Revenge. Karen, I'll throw it over to you. Final thoughts and score out of ten. Final thoughts and score out of ten. These episodes were absolutely fantastic. And although, as we said, they weren't quite the cohesive unit uh, and there could have been improvements to them, I think that overall there were just some phenomenal episodes, uh, particularly Revenge, which really is an exemplification of what is so good in Star Wars and a perfect 22-minute episode. I think it's the season finale on par with the, the recent season finale that we've seen in Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. Uh, fire across the galaxy and that's exactly what we want to see in a 22 minute episode but you know to work up to that you have to build on a storyline which is really inaugurated since season three and just seeing more return as you said earlier and we both said throughout this podcast this episode it, it was just perfected really uh, it was executed perfectly I should say the way that we see more insane and mad and then his resurrection by Mother Towson and to the point where he's fighting Obi-Wan and he's besting him and, yeah. and we see him as close to the mall of episode one it's just absolutely fantastic visually stunning episodes as well the fights were on epic proportion particularly Massacre the Night Sisters against the Separatist droid army the whole atmosphere and the cloudy mist as well that was surrounding it the red mist as you said just it worked so nicely when coupled with the red lightsabers used by Asajj Ventress. It was just absolutely incredible spectacle. And I think that the bounty episode was also very, very good as well. I did like the visual side of when they were having to best those marauders on that train there. Um, and that little snapshot really of Boba Fett in action if you remember that one it was yeah. like watching a first person shooter that wasn't it <laughs> when you're just going through the train and yeah. you're into like shoot and pinpoint uh, you know where all of the enemies are a bit like an arcade game works so so well so uh, that on top of a fantastic score I think overall I'm going to have to give this one a rating of 9 out of 10 I think it was overall up there with the best so, Dominic, I'll pass it over to you. Final thoughts and score out of 10. Well, yeah, I, I, like you said, Revenge is uh, one of the best episodes of the entire series. One of my all-time favorites. Uh, some the 22 of the best minutes of Star Wars that we've ever had. And and that episode 
on its own is an absolute 10 out of 10. Uh, the rest of the arc, you know, I have some issues with, uh, specifically, you know, Savage's story. I feel like there's, there's a lot missing to that. I feel like he, he didn't really go through enough in order to have earned Finding Maul. And like I said earlier, I'd love for that story to be told, whether it's in comic form or novel form or, hey, a Netflix series, you know, and anything like that. Um, like I said, I, I would just like to see that, that addressed, uh, again. Uh, but, but at the same time, I did like the concept of Morley, the snake, uh, if not some of the execution that sort of, you know, that last challenge, which is, you know, the one that you don't expect, uh, which is, you know, the sort of the, the small, almost Yoda like, it's almost reverse Yoda. Um, uh, I, I did like that concept. Uh, with Bounty, I, I love the action. I love seeing another snapshot of Bobo. I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think with Bobo, we're not necessarily seeing his story. We know his story is going on over there and every now and, but our story is over here and every now and again, they do cross paths, but, uh, we don't necessarily follow him all the way. And I, I, I do think that that's a really interesting storytelling technique. So we only get, like you said, snapshot, snap, snapshots of what he's doing. And I think that's pretty interesting. Um, that being said, I, I do also feel like this, that episode did feel a bit out of place in this arc because, you know, we're dealing with so much force and dark side and, and magic and, and all that stuff. And then to just kind of do this, this bounty hunter episode in the middle of it did feel a bit out of place. Um, but at the same time, it provided some interesting insight in ventures. So it, you know, it, it did a lot of good. Um, even if there were some aspects of it that relate not so much to the story, but to the outside factors that, that I didn't care for. And and Massacre uh, was a really great episode. They crammed a lot in there. If anything, they crammed a little bit too much in there. It, it could have been a, a two-parter. Um, and we would have... And I and I would have liked to have taken a little bit more time there, to be perfectly honest. To take a little bit more time to explore some of these Sister powers. And, and to spend a little bit more time with Ventress, with the Sisters before Grievous showed up. Really make it clear that she felt like she was one of them. Um, instead of just one line with one character. Uh, but that, again, that being said, phenomenal action. It was great to see the defoliator tank brought back from season one. That was a great callback to the, uh, the, uh, the episodes with the little rolling monkey people. <laughs> can't remember what they're called. Um, it was Jedi Crash. I can't remember the, the uh, what those, those species were. Um, Lerman, Lerman. There they are. <laughs> I, I got it. I got it. Um, that was a great callback. The fight between Grievous and, and Ventress was, was phenomenal. Um, and, and it was great to see Grievous, you know, lose but cheat, which is, which is how he rolls. And so he ultimately wins. And that was good. And, and like I said, you know, Night Sister Magic, it's, it's supposed to seem different and it's supposed to feel weird. And, and it does a great job of doing that in these episodes. Um, again, we'd like to have spent a little bit more time exploring it, but. Oh well, that's something for the future. That's something we can do in a, in another book or a comic or another TV show somewhere down the line. Uh, so overall, I will give this arc an 8 out of 10. Um, cause there is a lot of good in there. And of course, revenge is, is just so perfect that you can't, you can't discount it at all. All right, so that will wrap things up. We want to thank everybody so much for listening. We'll be back hopefully in two weeks where we will be talking about the Onderon arc from the beginning of Season 5. And, hey, that deals with some rebels. That might even tie into what's going on on TV right now. So that's going to be a great episode. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about that. So uh, be sure you don't miss that. Kieran, what's coming up on Expression FM this week? 
it's going to be big times on Expression FM this coming Sunday. If those of you who haven't heard, it is the charity match. It is our biggest event of the of our university year, to be honest. Um, it's raising money in aid of the Adam Stansfield Foundation, and uh, Adam Stansfield is one of the loyal. Exeter supporters who unfortunately developed bowel cancer and passed away very recently. But we are all contributing to a fantastic cause, it has to be said. We've raised almost a thousand pounds already, which fantastic. is absolutely brilliant. And we're, we're hoping to pass that target. Uh, that was the aim for the whole, uh, you know, in aid of Adam Stansfield Foundation, the aim was to get a thousand pounds. We will surely surpass that, and we haven't even got to the charity match day itself yet. So please, please, you can donate on the Virgin Media page uh, if you want to know more information about it. It's www.virginmedia.com, and you can see on my profile, and I'll be sharing lots and lots of news and announcements linked on to the Adam Stansfield Foundation. So please, please do if you can. Get in, get in touch, and and just donate, or at least publicise it. You know, just mm-hmm. to get the message out there. That's all we really want to do, and that's really what's been. Ha- that's really what's going on with expression sport at the moment. And the next time we talk, we will have completed the elections for the expression committee next year. And I am actually running for a position. I'm running for head of training, nice. which is training other presenters. So. Uh, we will find out next time when we record this because we record this every two weeks um, what would have happened from that so there you go a little taster and um, I, I again there's something that I'm really really passionate about so hopefully some good news can occur from that but yes please do if you can do charity matches the most important message that I really want to put across and the way to listen to Expression FM is on our website www.expression.fm and also you can follow us on Twitter our Twitter handle is at Expression FM our Facebook page is www.expression sorry .facebook.com slash Expression FM so please do get in touch everyone thank you all for listening and Dominic I'll pass it over to you to disclose your own podcast that you are involved with yeah so I also want to remind you about the Star Wars Underworld podcast recorded live every Thursday night at 9pm Eastern on channel 1138.com uh, or mixler.com slash channel dash 1138 you know the numbers 1138 uh, and uh, we're talking we, we just wrapped up the, the first season of Rebels of course uh, we mentioned Fire Across the Galaxy the season 1 finale recently so if you go back and listen to the last episode that's where you can hear our discussion about that episode a lot of fun a lot of interesting stuff in that episode and uh we'll be looking back on the entire season next week and uh you know seeing how seeing what what the show's strengths were and yeah there were a lot of them and uh what we would like to see done differently in the future uh so definitely check that out and of course we also talk about all the latest star wars news whether it's harrison ford crashing his plane or the latest episode seven news and spoilers, uh, be sure to check that out. And that's released, uh, like I said, recorded Thursday nights, 9 p.m. live. So you can join us for the live chat and, and have a lot of fun with that. And then it's released the following day on StarWarsUnderworld.com and the Star Wars Underworld iTunes feed. Uh, so be sure to subscribe to that because that is where you can subscribe to both Star Wars Underworld and this show. You get them both for the price of one and that price is absolutely free. So definitely do that and be sure to, uh, to leave leave nice positive reviews there and you can also uh if you use stitcher you can also get uh both shows from stitcher now as well and so we appreciate positive reviews over there as well 
Also, we'll quickly mention the Watchers of Westeros. We, our first four episodes are out talking about seasons one and two of Game of Thrones. Uh, we're going on a little break with that just throughout the mar- month of, uh, month of March, but we'll be back, uh, with that show at the beginning of April to review episodes of season five of game game of thrones as they come out so be sure to check that out at facebook.com slash watchers of westeros uh we also remind want to remind you to like this this podcast on facebook uh just search for the clone wars strikes back uh and be sure to like us there if you want to keep a little bit of clone wars in your news feed that is the page to like you can also follow us on twitter at tcw strikes back i'm at dominic j25 kieran is at cduggan6 uh that's way that's how you will keep up with everything that we are doing and uh, you'll never miss a, never miss an episode that way. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to check out StarWarsUnderworld.com throughout the weeks uh, to, for all the latest breaking Star Wars news, Rebels, Episode 7, and everything else that is going on. So thank you, everybody, so much for listening. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. May the Force be with you. <laughs>